All right, welcome everybody to this edition of uh, Breaking Absolutes. Really excited today to be talking with uh, Tommy Karavik, and I'll ask him to keep me honest on my pronunciation there because it's uh, as you know it's it's my weak suit. Um, but Tommy is known to most of the folks who probably follow this channel as the current lead singer for Camelot. Um, what might be slightly lesser known is his work with uh, former band Seventh Wonder. Um, Tommy's also been tapped uh, at least three times to work with uh, Arjen Lukasen, who we spoke with last week uh, on concept records. And this will be a theme for some of the things we talk about today because um, Tommy is particularly adept at conveying narrative with music. It's not the only thing, of course, he can do. Um, but, but folks will know that that's a bit of a bias of mine, and so I pay a lot of attention to how uh, a vocalist communicates that and inhabits a character if that's what's required. Um, and I don't know anybody doing it better than Tommy. And you, you've heard me kind of invoke this idea that I'd not given to hyperbole, and that's not. Um, and I'll talk about some, at least from my perspective, why I think that's true for him and get his, his input on his approach there. Um, a couple of sparklers uh, about the band. The most recent record, Shadow Theory, uh, entered the Billboard Hard Rock charts at number two. It peaked at number one on the Amazon Hard Rock and Metal charts. Um, those are not the only chart positions, um, and not that chart positions are the measure of a group, uh, but it's, it's one data point that is very suggestive of um, this band's sort of uh, place in the community, how beloved they are, uh, how good their music is. Um, so I wanted to, to open with that. They've also been on bills with, with the very best metal bands on the planet, bands like um, Iron Maiden. So they have the respect of their peers, which is, I think, also an important note to make. So with that as my preamble, let me bring Tommy on and we'll get uh, started. Tommy, welcome. Thank you so much, Peter. I'm super happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, pleased that you, you uh, were willing to spend some time with us. Um, before we kind of get into the rest of it, um, you know, I ask this question of a lot of folks now, but how, how have you weathered the, the pandemic? Has it uh, provided any sort of silver lining for you? You know, anything you've accomplished or, or major detractors? Yeah, I mean, I came from a period where that was really was a lot of work, a lot of, you know, grinding it out, a, a kind of a couple of years there. And, um, you know, I don't know if you if you know, but I was a firefighter in, back in Sweden before, and um, I always kind of tried to juggle two, two things at, at once, like the music, or three things, music, uh, my family, and um, um, the firefighting. Like, so it's been a lot of work, like past 10 years was just crammed. Like when I wasn't in, uh, in the fire station working, at the fire station working, I was um, on tour, I was writing music at night, or I was, I was, you know, flying to Canada or to see my see my girlfriend at the time, which is now my wife, which is which is a beautiful thing in itself. Yeah. But um, so we we were challenged, you know, I was challenged for a long time. Then uh, right before COVID, I I decided to move to Canada and uh, uh, pursue music full time and uh, be, you know, be with my my. Uh, wife more and uh so for me covid was kind of a little bit of a of a blessing you know it was i got to come to this new country uh got to be with my wife every day and um i mean yeah the, the world shut down but at least i wasn't in the right 
and I was with my wife and not somewhere else. Yeah. And, um, you know, we did a lot of, of, uh, uh, it was a lot of just redefining what life is, I think too, you know, like I was, life was all, all about work for me and music. And then during the pandemic, I was chopping wood. I was doing labor outside and gardening and, and just stuff that I never really did before. It's, I love it. It's beautiful. And then we, we got to, we got to really come down to earth, I think, for the first time in a, in a very long time. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that scene thing mentioned more than once. And I think, um, the more we kind of look back later on as, as, um, it, not that anybody would ever have wanted this kind of thing, but there's been some reconnection, which is ironic since you and I are doing this whole thing virtually, but, um, the people being able to spend more time with loved ones, um, a little bit less emphasis on work, even, uh, even people who work a day job who no longer have had to commute and spend two hours on the freeway. Um, so I appreciate those thoughts. I, it was, by the way, one of the things I was going to ask you, because I saw in your backstory that you were a firefighter, which is a non-trivial job. Is that, I, and you say you did that for a long time. I, is that something you've had to kind of put away or is that still something you do on occasion? No, I, um, I think I'm done with it, to be honest. I, uh, I did it for almost 20 years. I started really young and uh, worked full time. And I, I, it's really one of the one, most wonderful things I've ever done. And, and I, I, I don't regret it at all. I, I made some amazing friends. Uh, got to stay fit, working. Uh, got to experience a lot of things that, that are a little bit ex, you know, extraordinary. But, yeah. uh, but it, is a, it is a heavy job. I mean, it's a, it's a tough job. And uh, just, being, just having to wake up in the middle of the night so many times, just I, I think it's not, maybe not the best for your health. And uh, after 20 years, I, I, you know, coming out of it, um, I feel way more healthy, way more refreshed. And, and just like, uh, it was kind of like a, you were in a, in a cloudy haze for, for 20 years. Yeah. You know, because you, you never really slept. You, it's like having little, little ones for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are, was, um, is the requirement in Sweden, you're from Sweden, right? Is it is the requirement there the same as it is in the states where you are on for a period of time and you're on call twenty four seven and then you have periods off or is it managed differently? It's uh, it's kind of like that, yeah. I mean, you when you go to work a shift at the fire station, you have to stay at the fire station, of course. Yeah. Um, and it's it's from it's ten hours or fourteen hours or twenty four hours, and then it's a, it's a schedule that rolls. So you have a couple of days off here and there, and then you're on for 24 hours, and then you have a day off, and then you're on for 14. So it's like, um, yeah, when when you're there for 24 hours, I mean, it's uh, that's a long time to be at work, right? Yeah, and yeah, and uh, you're you have to be kind of on the ready, which can yeah. has there's a certain emotional tension, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I think in the beginning it was for sure. Then of course you you get used to okay. like everything else, but yeah. But it's I, something I it's something I definitely miss. I mean, it's uh, I think I will always miss it. But at the same time, I also want to stay healthy and I want to do other stuff in in life, right? Well, and you've got a um, an increasingly demanding career as a musician, which most of the people on this call uh, and this stream um, are very happy about. So the more you make music, the happier many people are going to be. Um, 
but but having said that, no, like it, it's super cool that you um you did. It's it's one of the nobler professions. It's, you know, these are the people who run into danger. So um, there's a lot to be said for that. And I suspect that like you've got experiences that inform the maturity of how you approach things. I don't know if that uh, um, I don't want to draw on on untrue correlations, but you do so much storytelling and there's a lot of emotion in many of these songs. And we'll talk about a few of them. Um, are you, does, does this life experience as a firefighter ever inform how you, how you talk about grief or loss in your music? I don't know. I haven't thought about that. It's an interesting, interesting, interesting thing for sure. I've always been generally like, uh, in music speaking, I, I've always been, um, um, it's all about emotion for me. Like this, since the very beginning, it's, it has to be emotional. Mm-hmm. If I don't, and if it's something I've experienced, it's easy to tell it. If, if or if someone around me has, has experienced, I pick up on the emotion a lot. Yeah. So I think that helps for sure. And I'm and being able to put myself in the mindset of someone else. Um, but I think I've always been that that way, and I think maybe that's also why I chose to be a firefighter. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting thought. Um, yeah, I can see that. I'm no psychologist, but it seems it seems of a provable truth that if you're the kind of person who has a lot of empathy for people, um, taking a role or an occupation where you'd be you'd be helping people, you know, be an obvious path. Um, before we before we get deeper into your into your musical life. Uh, I also saw that you in in college you studied nature and science. Yeah. What, what were you a biology major? What was there? No, no I don't actually know the the terms because okay. um, I did I did what was required of me in school. Like I I wasn't uh, I I didn't go to university for example. I, I started firefighting right away. That's why I already done it for twenty years. Oh yeah, so, you're a young but, man still. <laughs> yeah, journey pushing forty. <laughs> hey. Uh, 40's fine. <laughs> yeah, I keep telling myself that too. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine. I, um, I don't know. I Yeah, I did that, but um, it, it was actually my mom and my granddad that suggested this is this is uh, something that would probably serve you if you want to go further in life and do yeah. and study more. And I just, I just rolled with it. I didn't have anything that I really wanted to do except for being a firefighter. So, and I knew that from a really early age. I maybe like, couple years old when my mom asked me what I wanted to be and that's all I said from that from then on so I don't know I just I, I think I just dictated it you know when you kind of put something into the universe and and uh, or out to, to the universe and and it just it just makes its way a certain way yeah well so um in that in that vein there there had to have been some some early sort of uh pollination with music because that's the 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 major path it seems like you've also been on where did that come into play oh my uh i know i know kind of where it started for me and it's interesting that i'm now in a band in in camelot in a band like camelot that's very theatrical because i know my mom took me to to when i think i was 12 or something she took me to uh, the phantom of the opera yeah um in stockholm and uh, needless to say i, I was uh blown away like at at i was just blown away honestly i was i remember still vividly some of the scenes like when the chandel chandelier comes down and when the when the 
uh, of the masquerade and when they come on the boat, you know, when they when they row through the yeah. smoke and the, the songs and everything. I'm just like I'm I can still put myself there. And I think that must have been when when it kind of started like that interest started. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know. I didn't start singing uh, professionally or, or more like as a hobby. I didn't. I didn't start that until I was fifteen, sixteen, maybe seventeen. So I don't know what happened in between there. But something grew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let me let me ask. Um, that's a really interesting story that I want to come back to around Phantom of the Opera. But did you, as you started to get into music more have you done any sort of um formal vocal training or is this all just sort of um self-development that's i'm actually a little bit embarrassed to say i i haven't done a lot of training yeah um formally I, of course i've practiced but i haven't um i, I wish i would have done more uh, formal vocal training especially Especially starting to tour later on, that that when you need you need to know some stuff uh, and be prepared for touring, uh, and you need to know how your how your voice works and how the voice works in general, right? Um, and so, and I think I've taken two lessons in my life, um, and that's it, you know. And yeah. one was fairly recently when I had to do something because I was like, oh, my voice is I just can't do what I want to do, you know, and. And so I, I did that. I, I went with my wife to her at the time, uh, vocal coach, and had a session. And from then, it kind of just changed again. You know, I, it just helped me a lot. But I've always been, and, and I'm also a little bit embarrassed to say that, but I've always been uh, a little bit afraid to show my weakness as a singer to anyone, even to myself. So like I hate singing to myself, and if it sounds like shit, I don't want to sing, because uh, because I judge myself. Yeah, I hear <laughs> you, know? you. I hear you. Yeah. So so it can be the most beautiful thing to sing when it works out, and it can be the most horrible thing to have to sing when it doesn't feel right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so I I've been really cautious. Like I've been cautious. I haven't like wanted to expose myself to anyone or like, and that means you can't grow the same way that you, you could have. So I think I, that's one thing I regret. I should have started earlier. I mean, just get, get over myself and, and uh, my fears and just have someone correct the stuff that you don't do, do. That's good for you. Yeah. Well, I'll say a couple of things. I have done some formal vocal training and uh, it's when you get the right teacher and by that, I don't mean that there are certain vocal trainers or vocal coaches who are um, clearly better than others. Uh, I, I think that's less true. I think it's more about finding a good match because um, there's a lot of people who teach variations on some of the core techniques, um, which, by the way, you d many of those, at least from my perspective, you do instinctively, which isn't to say you wouldn't benefit from training. You might. Uh, it's not, you know, that, that'll, that's a personal choice. Um, but a lot of what a lot of what you're doing is, and, and I'll, we'll get into some specific, some specific examples, is really good. And then if you decide to go, you know, find a trainer, you know, it might open up some things to you. Um, I appreciate your honesty about, you know, you're hardly alone as a vocalist and feeling some insecurity about uh, letting anybody ever hear you when you're pitchy or 
you know, the voice isn't kind of behaving the way you hope. Um, yeah. And, and I will say this for, for everybody. Uh, there's a good example of this. Idena Menzel sang the big Let It Go song from, from the Disney thing live at a, at a uh, New Year's Eve show and was freezing, freezing cold from Times Square. And she wasn't perfect. And she just got lit up, lit up by social media for being less than perfect. It, one, it's a biological instrument. So like it, it has a unique set of um, behaviors and, and um, considerations relative to other kinds of instruments. Number two, she, you know, she, it was like, I can't remember the temperature. So there was all of these sort of content, um, you know, pressing factors. And the same is true for a vocalist like yourself that's on tour. Um, and I've said this to other vocalists that I sort of consider in this sort of the upper echelon of, of um, vocalists, particularly in progressive metal, where the regimen's usually really athletic. I mean, the music is not just simple to sing. It's written to be um, big. Not always, but, you know, you're, you're touring, uh, you're, you're in a new venue almost every night. You know, you're competing with so much noise. A lot of times you don't have sleep. A lot of times you don't have the best diet. Like there's there's a litany of things that impact the voice. Um, then to ha- come under the scrutiny of people which, that don't you know, where it doesn't sound like the album. Um, these are folks that I don't have a lot of patience for, because you know. So so um, I so back to I appreciate your honesty there, but I will say I've seen you live a few times and uh, you kill it live. So whatever you're doing in preparation is working at least to some degree. Thank you. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very adamant about being prepared, you know, I, and that's another thing. I'm, I'm really not, I don't think I'm the best singer or the best performer if I can't practice it. Like, I, I, I need to be a practice yeah. what I'm uh, going to do because it's like, it's always kind of like that. People s- just think that that the singers can, they, they, they can just sing anytime. They, they can sing anytime, anything, in any key and um without any preparation so it's like um it's kind of like you're you're a comedian be funny yeah right a little bit like that and it's like i it never worked like that for me like um either i can't relax or or i need to warm up or i need to know that this is the key that i can sing in and uh be prepared i mean that's that's how i am good i am prepared and um I uh, I do a lot of preparation work, like before a tour. I make sure I, I know all the lyrics when I'm vacuuming, you know. I I so I don't have to think about it. So because there's always this element on tour, there's the element of surprise every moment, right? Yeah. So you need to be able to to just be in your zone without thinking about it. Uh, and then I I practice the songs so I can do the set maybe twice a day. So I don't so I know that I have some juice when the when the show is over yeah because if i exert myself one night it's going to be tougher the next night and then it's going to be tough even tougher the next night and right. i've done that and i know that so um i try to you know and also placement of of notes i try to place them uh and this is something i learned more more just for myself like where where are the grading notes and why where are the notes that they they take me like they they make me um tired right like i i i need to find a place a placement for the note that doesn't always that does that sounds like the note i want to do but it's a little more easy on me 
Yeah. No, that those are all really smart techniques that you've, yeah. you know, that you've kind of grown into just by by having to do it. Uh, and I think, um, there, you know, there's obviously talent and natural raw ability, but I think it commends you well um, that you talk so much about preparation. To use a sports analogy, my favorite NFL football quarterback was Peyton Manning. And it wasn't because he had the strongest arm or was the fastest. It was beca- because he prepared like nobody prepared. Uh, and I think that that's an undervalued um, virtue for a vocalist. Um, so I, I, I love hearing that. I think that that's, you know, that actually explains to me why when I've seen you, you've, you know, it's, it's been so, so good. By the way, as I said before, if you'd missed a note, I'm one of those for whom that's just part of the charm of live music. So, you know, um, but, um, okay. So let's, let's dive into some of the actual music. Um, I think unless I missed like my own understanding and what I was able to sort of read your first really meaningful group was, um, seventh wonder. Yeah. Yep. Um, and you came into that group, um, they had already released a record, but you came in, I think, to do the tour, right? Yeah, we didn't really do touring. Like the first show was um, the release party for the album "Become," which was their first album. Okay. But the singer was no longer in the band, so I had to just basically, with short notice, rehearse the songs and, and do this. And that was my first live experience ever. I think. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was like, uh, okay, I just got pretty intense. It. Yeah, and then um, I don't know if I did a good job, to be honest, but uh, good enough, I think. Um, so, so, but you did a good enough job that um, you stayed with that group for quite a while. You, you continued to record. You, that your um, the first record was "Waiting in the Wings," the where that where you were the vocalist. That's true. Yeah, um, and that. that um, there's so much Seventh Wonder material that we can't cover at all, so I kind of want to hit on a few specific things. That record, by the way, was received really, really well, um, in no small part, I think, because of um, what you brought to the music in terms of your voice. But the next record, Mercy Falls, uh, was a concept album. And um, I wanted to ask before we get into that side of it, like when once you joined on with Seventh Wonder, what was your uh, participation in songwriting process and it's yes. different yeah, well, for every band before i sorry. no so for the mercy falls yeah yeah when you oh, started yeah. getting into those once you were there yep um well me and andreas blomquist which is the bass player uh, we wrote all the lyrics together because we we made we came up with the um the concept like we were at i remember we're sitting in in my little small apartment, like bachelor apartment in uh, just outside of Stockholm. And we were having red wine for some reason. I don't drink red wine, but it, it, it gets your creative juices flowing, I guess. Yeah. And um, we just wrote the script that night to, to that album. And, uh, and of course, it developed later into what it is. But we, that's kind of the where we I think we already have like scenes and everything for, for the songs. And uh, we didn't have any music, but uh but we had the the story we wanted to tell and we were stoked right we were like yeah this is this could be 
really good, you know, because there's a lot of room, I thought, for emotion in, in something like this. Like there's a lot of uh, storytelling with an emotional aspect, I guess. So I was I was stoked. Uh, and I think on that album, more so than the, the previous album, I started writing more of the music too. Um with all the instruments, but I, I but at that time I only had MIDI and I didn't really play guitar, so I I kind of programmed hide and seek on my on my uh, uh, in my DAW, and uh, and I just had I, I think I couldn't program the guitar because I didn't have anything, so I I, I uh, sang the guitar for oh, nice. yeah to to the guitar player and <laughs> he had to interpret it, but. Um, and then yeah, there was an, a couple other songs like I did the I wrote the ballads because I, I play I play guitar a little bit and and um, I saw that I saw that you had done some guitar. By the way, it's interesting to hear you talk about that in some of my own compositional efforts. I can't play guitar at all except for a couple of power chords, but I can I know the melody and a lot of times you know especially leads are just an extension of the melodic line. Um, I think you know that's very cool to hear sort of a um, uh, behind the scenes and how you approached it. Yeah. Um, you, the story before we get to a couple of specific tracks, the story is tragic. Um, and there's, um, I, I applaud you for, for having this sort of boldness to tell a story that is, um, you know, maybe a little dark. It certainly got a tragic note as it finishes, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, I mean, we we, we kind of wanted to do something different too. We wanted to, because we didn't want the Hollywood ending. Yeah, we, we we didn't want it to all work out in the end. But it's it's a kind of a funny, interesting twist, right? Like you you go through the album and thinking it's one thing, and then at the end it's like you're you're kind of okay, and it leaves you with a different emotion. You know, I know, I know a lot of people are angry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, well, how, how you dare do, you? <laughs> how dare you? Like, that was not cool. But, um, you know, I don't know. Something happened on the album. Like, it was, uh, the way it was received, the way people took it to heart. I don't know. It was uh, something, something magical, I think, happened. Yeah, uh, I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't heard the record. But there's, um, there's some, some beautifully tragic twists um, and really, really great. As a, see, I, I also have outside of my my life where I write novels, and so some of the um, the narrative devices you use uh, in there are really, really solid um, and delightful. Even even though there's a there's a there's a darkness to the story itself, um, there's a surprise factor in some of that. How that comes round full circle at the end of the story. So. I know I'm I'm speaking cryptically, but I'm I, I don't want to spoil it for people who still haven't taken the journey. Right. Um, but I, I sorry, go ahead. Were you going to say something? No, no. I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I, that's that's probably a good thing. Um, but you you see so you particularly with some of the ballads. Were, were you instrumental on Tears for a Father? Yeah, I wrote I wrote that one. Uh, and um, let me I, that that song, dude is um it's an amazing song it's uh it's raw um i love how you craft 
the the lyrics it, it doesn't always fall in a sort of uh, iambic pentameter um, or or other sort of predictable cadence, um, uh, and it's a it's a gut punch, and this whole this whole euphemism of muddy water that you use, like it's uh, I, that I I listened to that song on repeat several times. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm very proud of that song. To be honest, it's not not a, a lot of this stuff. When I look back, I'm like, yeah, I could have done that better. I could have done this. But I think when it comes when you know talking about that song, I don't know why it resonates with people. It it seems to resonate with people also live. Like people want to hear it. It's short and uh, it's sweet. And um, I don't know. I I thought there's something always interesting also to 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 picture like. A, a kid with his dad, like a, a dad with his uh, with his son, or something like that. It, for me, that's the, that's a strong thing already. Yeah, you know. And there's a lot of uh, I can tap into that really easily. I, I I think my first song I wrote in Swedish. I also wrote about you know that relationship and uh, something I easy, I can tap into easily. But yeah, that that just came really really when when, when I know what I wanted to say there. And I, I could just picture the boy sitting at his, at the side of his father's bed, that, you know, and then just saying like all the things he 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 wished, you know, like and, and and he he wants to tell his dad a lot of stuff, and he doesn't know if he can hear him, and yeah, you know, and it's that kind of stuff. It just comes natural to me. Yeah, you um, you really knocked it out of the park with that tune. Uh, you know, it's balladesque in the turn in in the sense that it's softer, but not balladesque in the way that conventionally we think about rock tunes. Um, there's a there's a um, kind of a languor in it that is refreshing in that it's just not it's not an emotion that we hear very often, or at least that I have not heard very often. Um, which isn't to say I'm not enamored of triumphant songs and all the the majesty of the yeah. big thing, because uh, right. I am. Um, but you also, this is where I started to note like really, really powerfully the way you convey a song. And we'll talk more about this with some of the other music we'll get to, but, um, and this then ties back to, you know, I, I would love just the sort of romance of thinking that your impression from Phantom of the Opera shaped you, but the, uh, you, the way you deliver music and so much of what you've done is got a narrative component is um, it, it's more than just a rock singer on the stage uh, who has got a good voice and a good band behind him and lights and all the stuff. Um, you kind of you kind of perform a song um, in a way that only I can only think of a few rock metal vocalists do. Uh, and I've seen you live. Uh, there's plenty of YouTube videos, but I've seen you live, and. Um, you you have this ability, I think, in the way that you sort of convey the song in terms of, of your your body movement and facial expression and all of that that it, that um, really kind of syncs well with the the story and the music you're telling, um, and and makes it feel it makes it feel dramatic. It, it gives it a, a gravitas, if I may borrow from my college days, <laughs> yeah. that it doesn't exist. I mean. Don't please don't misunderstand me. I don't want any hate mail. I love all the big rock metal bands, and and there's no one right way to perform a song, 
but there's a very, very small number of singers, I think, that do what you do. Um, and uh, it's very theatrical. And for that, I think it, it resonates with your fans, like, in spades, man. Thanks. I mean, yeah, it's also something maybe, I have to say, like, becoming the singer of Camelot was, I had to step my live game up uh, in terms of performing uh, and not just the singing. The, the performance uh, of music like that has to be very theatrical. Like yeah. uh, the, the previous singer, he had one style of being th theatrical, but and I, I, I have another style. Maybe a little like we, we both we're both very the theatrical, but we have a different approach to how we how we do it. Like yeah, yeah. He was very mysterious uh, in a way, and and kind of um dark you know and um didn't he, he wasn't so um he didn't give a lot of himself to the crowd for example at you know and and but he and he was awesome as a performer like really awesome but i wanted to be something i wanted to do my version of being theatrical which is being very interactive yeah right um and I think that that's what I want to give, what I want to give people on a stage. I want to I want to make them feel a part of the experience, right? Yeah. And so that's my that's my like my focal point when I'm being theatrical. I want people to feel what I feel, and if I can if I can look at someone or take someone's hand or or. Uh, um, make someone sing something or that's that's where I, where i am theatrical i think yeah and yeah and three I, I put emphasis on what i think is the important part of the song like with the face or with with my body or if it doesn't it, it doesn't it's not like i'm calculating it it's a little bit different all the time but sure it's for you know that's what's come coming out of me yeah the, no i think what you're saying makes perfect sense it's um i've seen you and there's a lot of um, interaction with the crowd and in, in terms of re outreach and, and eye connection and, and those sorts of things. Um, but you, and, and I have never seen you like perform the same song the same way twice. I, I certainly, that wasn't, uh, an implication rather, uh, um, there's just something about the, um, whether you're inhabiting a character or you're just sort of channeling the emotion and the lyrics and the way that you allow that to inform, the you know your facial expressions and you know I don't I don't want to over analyze this, but it because I know that this is a lot of this is instinctive. But at the very least, it seems like you're thoughtful that it's it's the the presentation is more than just I'm a rock singer and you're here to hear me sing the song. Yeah, because I to be honest, everyone that's listening out there, I most of the time I don't even identify as a singer. Like uh, I I. I think I'm most first and foremost a musician that that loves to create something palpable for for other people, like an emotional trip. And then I the the thing that comes with that is to to be on stage. And then I had to had to figure that part out. But that wasn't my in, like my that wasn't what draw like was you know um, drawing me into music. That was not my goal was not to be on the stage so so uh, i yeah i think 
That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, uh, it just came with the gig, and then I and I love it when it and it feels good when I can sing and I, I'm, I can be who I want to be up there. But there's also nights where where I feel like I don't think I have it in me, right? I don't. I think I think because I am very emotionally driven when it comes to music, and I if I'm not feeling it, it's hard, right? It's really hard to, and you're tired and you're grumpy or, and you honestly, there's been nights many nights where i've been like I, I, don't, I don't think i have it in me you know and then i have it in me because that's what the crowd gives me yeah and then i'm like oh okay just it just uh, it's okay now we, we can do it but it's it's a, always a mind game with me it's, it's like i have to i have to get into the right mindset yeah i think that that i think that that comes through i think that the emotional investment you make is um part of what you know, people respond to in your music and in your live performance. Um, I'm very happy that you're you're out there doing it, um, not as just trying to ingratiate myself to you, but because um, I, I, as you know, all kinds of expressions of of music are are viable and good. Um, but I love I love the dramatic air that you lend to what you do, um, and I think. You've you've helped create music both in Seven Wonder and in Camelot, that is a perfect is suit well suited to that. Um, before we kind of move more into Camelot, though, if it's okay, I want to spend a few more minutes on Seventh Wonder. Absolutely. Um, so the Great Escape, there is a thirty minute title track on this, that's amazing. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And I did a little bit of reading on this. Um, and I don't want to rabbit hole too much on it, but it's based on a poem by a Swedish um, poet by the name of Harry Martinson. He was a Nobel laureate. Um, Aniara, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Um, how did you come by this as a as a libretto for a thirty minute song? Which, by the way, all progressive fans rejoice when they hear thirty minute song. Um, that's a masterwork. How did you how did you land on that as as you know, a title track. Well, um, that that's all. The idea came from uh, the bass player um, um, Andreas, and he he was the one who really wanted to do. Um, if, if it wasn't for him, we probably wouldn't have done that because he uh, he really uh, he really um, wanted to do that. And so we we said, okay, let's let's do it, you know. But um, and I really liked I really liked the the idea of, of basing it on Aniara. That was that was a really cool idea. I hadn't read Aniara before. Uh, so but it but he was telling us about this um, little collection of poems, if you will. Yeah. And um, yeah, we we're all like, okay, that's that's awesome. That's really cool. Let's do it. Uh, that was a lot of freaking work though. That was crazy. And he also he also wrote all the music for it. Like he he programmed all the music in him into his like uh, um guitar what is it called uh he had like a something that sounded really bad <laughs> i don't know what it's called like guitar rig or no no not guitar rig it's it's some midi thing for guitar okay yeah 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 guitar pro oh guitar. yeah probably yeah yeah um and then everyone had to kind of decipher what where to go from there but <laughs> but uh yeah 
30 minutes that's an undertaking and uh i remember i was spending so much time i was sleeping in the studio for two weeks trying to finish one song you know like i was <laughs> living on on uh red red bull or some version of red bull and uh nuts i think and i was like sleeping there i i was i was alone in that little cave that we had and uh I just slept a few hours, started recording again because I had I had to be done at such certain point. Mm -hmm. But I was just, oh, that was awful. It, it, it was awful, but uh, it came out pretty cool. It did. The result, I mean, the whole album's cool, and I want to talk about uh, one or two other things with it. But that title track is, uh, you know, another place where I think you guys kind of prove your metal, not to be cute about the phrase, um, with writing something that is so ambitious and comprehensive and a very good instrument choices for conveying parts of the song. Um, it's a, it's another sort of tragic narrative. Um, I don't want to spoil it for people again so that they can go experience it or go and go read the poem, um, which is, is almost book length. It's like 103 cantos. Uh, but you guys did a, a, an excellent job of carrying that off. I'd love to see that performed live sometime. I don't know if that'll ever happen. I would love to see that too. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I don't have to be a part of it. <laughs> so maybe maybe a, a tribute band, Seventh Wonder tribute band. That would be awesome. I, I'd buy a ticket any any time. Yeah. No, I mean it's a it's a everything's kind of maxed out on that song too. Yeah. Like I think we, we played a couple of parts on the last tour we had. Uh, we 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 took select parts out of the song and made a medley from from the song. But we didn't play the whole song because I think no one of no Andreas is he's, he wants to play the whole song, uh, but the rest of us we're like, I, <laughs> I don't know if it's possible, you know, like maybe it's not even possible. Maybe we just like we just leave it as this magical thing that happened, you know? Yeah. But uh, Some, it's, it's probably possible. But uh, well, with enough rehearsal, but then you know that would be. Yeah. that would be a lot of work to prepare. Um, I mean, and it leads me to, I, before I, I'm going to jump ahead to one question while we're on the topic is, will there be more seventh wonder in the future or is, yeah. I mean, I'm starting, starting the writing and recording of the next seventh album in like 10 days. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. So I just, yes, yesterday I was actually listening to some of the demos and just writing some stuff in my head, but, so yeah, absolutely. There will be one more uh, at least, and uh, it's not going to be eight years in between, like it was between the Great Escape and Tiara. Yeah, that was way way too long. But and it was crazy that the fans stayed. It was we we just were so thankful and, and grateful that everyone was just hanging out waiting for the for eight years. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and it was like ba the band never stopped when when we released Tiara. So you um there were some session recordings that came out and um. Going back to our, our vocal conversation, there was something in there. You were using some sort of vocal spray uh, at some points. There, I, um, th I toured with a, a Broadway vocalist, and I can't remember the name of the product, but he used that sus stuff incessantly when he was performing. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, because I, I had some trouble. Like, since I was not resting my voice at all yeah. when, I, when I was recording that album, because... It was just too. It's it's a crazy album vocally. I think like I think probably the craziest one maybe. Uh, and everything is kind of. I want everything. It was when I had a little bit of a 
brain situation when I, when I'm like I has to be perfect. Like I don't know, I was manic about every note being exactly the way I wanted it, which is I which I think now is like I I like Mercy Falls probably more because it's it's a little rawer and it's a little more. It's a real yeah I don't know it's just it just uh, it's not it's less perfect yeah and sometimes the emotion most of the time the emotion is in the in the imperfection right so yeah. I don't know. oh I love that I love that quote yeah I'm gonna steal that do that steal <laughs> it use it <laughs> I love but, it but uh, so it's not my favorite album uh, and but it's it's perfect it's it's like as perfect as I could sing it yeah but perfect is not the best thing for me. You know, there's a song on there. I don't know if people will agree with me, but called "Long Way Home," that I heard um, shades of Freddie Mercury uh, in your voice. And when I st w once I had that thought, um, a lot of other things, a lot of dominoes, sort of mental dominoes about voice fell for me, because you, um, whether naturally or or because of this early Phantom of the Opera shaping, you do. You do some things vocally on this record and, and other places in Seventh Wonder and, and for sure in Camelot where you um, there's a variety of sort of vocal approaches you'll take. And this may be partly what you were talking about, you know, finding the place for the note. But you you'll go. There's a couple of things I wanted to say. You do a really beautiful job of leveraging a lower register um, that has a, a beauty and a, and a richness um that also that that has also the consequence of when you go up to get an, a note it makes that note bigger it makes that note seem higher and grander because it in in comparison to where some of the rest of the song is sung it's got this variance and i don't know if that's a deliberate vocal technique but it does that is the consequence of you doing that is when you hit some of these notes they seem epically large um and part of it and they are they're they're big and they're high and you give them a lot of power but they also they also grow from a, a, a vocal base and a, and a melodic base um, that is that is deeper. Is that something you think about, or is that just a natural songwriting technique that you have? I, I first of all, I just want to say, for me, music is graphical. Oh. It's it's graphic. Like it, I see music, of course, as emotion. But I, it's, I when I see when I hear a song, I see it uh in in terms of like how it goes like this like yeah. a line and i want the for me development of something usually um come from the verse it's a little lower it's something i i want the pre-chorus to be have some a little more intensity and i want the chorus to be have the most intensity so and usually that also goes with uh with how i like how i place the notes in in pitch yeah uh, and so, and I wanted some notes to have impact, so they come from a lower place, right? They come from if, if everything was super high all the time, nothing would be impactful, right? Yeah. So I I I uh, and and I'm not a singer. It's also have to be super honest with you. I'm not a high pitched singer at all. Like um, I can, I can do that, and uh, but I can't do it all the time, right? And I can't sing. I, I my most hated melodies to sing are this are the melodies that are grading on one high note forever because that's not my strong suit my my strong suit is to be 
emotional and melodical and do excursions where I, where I pop out of that. And that seems epic. And then I take it down. So it's all about being dynamic for me. And uh, I don't do a good job if I have to sing. Like, I'm not even sure, uh, you know, some of these high-pitched singers, they love being up there and singing that. I hate it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Like, for myself. Like, I wish I could, but it's not my not my strong suit. I well, want to be dynamic. It sounds like... Um Sounds like it is. There is some intention there because you. What happens the, the listening experience with when we hear you sing, for me anyway, is that when you do reach up, yes, it's true. There's always someone sing, can sing higher, and there are definitely vocalists who sort of make a career of sitting in a really really high place and set of notes way up above, and um, that's a calling card. But but um, what I. What's interesting and I love about your vocal approach is when you reach up for a note in a chorus or for a dramatic effect and it's it's a higher note for you in your register, it feels that much more epic because of this process that you go through. And I think it's uh, uh, it's really smart, um, um, both from a sort of vocal preservation <laughs> as well as a, a just a musicality. Yeah. And I, I think I think um, how, how to approach this in, in the best way. I mean, uh, no one like it, it's cooler for me somehow to to drive like if you if you own a Ferrari and you drive fifty, and then sometimes you're like pushing the gas pedal and you're like holy smokes, you know, this is a car, you know? Yeah. And and that's really cool. But if you have like a Fiat. And you drive 200, and it's just shaking all the time. It, it's not interesting, and it it doesn't feel safe or, or like it does. It, you know what I mean? Yeah, That's absolutely. That's the difference. I, I I feel like, like I I want to be the Ferrari driving 50, and 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 just sometimes just like pressing, you know, and and this is cool, and then go back because, you know, it's it's more controlled. It's more controlled, and and it, it's more dynamic. Yeah, well, and there's so that's one thing. But there's also, um, to great effect, you use, you'll come out of what is a, what I call a compressed note, where you're, you're pushing some force up, um, and you're using it to get a, a, a blended tone. And then you'll come out of that with great facility into um, head tone or falsetto. And um, you, and you do that, by the way, not only just on the high notes, you, you do it kind of, it seems like you do it which makes sense with what you've said here today in service of the song uh, to convey a lyric or a, an emotion. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I try to, I think I overthink and think uh, when I record uh, and I, I make sure that all, that everything has a purpose for me. It's not maybe the same for everyone, but for me, like for example, if there's a verse and just talking about how how I'm choosing if it's going to be a falsetto or or a belted note or a mixed note. It's uh, I just you know for me. I want to I want to try to streamline things a little bit. Like I I don't want like when there's like a verse, and then the, there's a high note in there. But I don't want to put it in belting because it's going to pop out like a like a something that just and you just, you'll be just like oh what what's that. 
So I try to make that note, but I try to make it less abrasive. Yeah. And so I have to put it in falsetto or in the in mixed voice. And I did, and then I go for the sound. So I always go for the sound when I record. I, like I want this to sound this way. Yeah. Um, I try to go for that. It's not always I can, but most of the times I'll I'll get it after a while. And then when I have the song and everything is there, I, I learn I learn the sequence. Yeah. No, I you you do a really good job of this, Tommy. It's um and and part of part of your willingness to like not always have to be show the bravado of I can, you know, do this is that the I going back to where I started, I think it has uh, a very th- theatrical consequence in how it comes across, um, which plays well with the music and, and the narrative ideas that you explore in the various music. But it also it gives it this, this I mean, if you think about some of the very most enduring um, musical theater, and I know that for some metal heads, that's maybe not their favorite kind of music, but it's instructive um, from the standpoint that as a vocalist, it gives you like the, a, a broader set of tools to to convey, and um, you you do this as well as anybody, uh, in my view. Uh, and I'm not just I'm not just because you're on trying to give you compliments. Um, I've said this to friends because uh, I love I love vocalists who use all of these different techniques um, as part of their delivery. Uh, but there's not as many doing it. Um, there's a lot of guys who who. They're, they're, they're more enamored of like how good their grit can sound, that sort of rasp, you know, or, or a full-throated growl. And, and those are important, and I'm not trying to throw shade on those. But yeah. it just seems to me that you, you're working with a, a broader set of tools. Um, and that's a bias, but I love it. Oh, oh thank you. Well, I, I think maybe that's one of my strengths that I, 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 um, that I think I have, that I have as a singer is that I am – can I? I'm not. Since I'm not considering myself a singer of sorts, the same way. Like um, I don't have a style. Uh, so I can I can do whatever I feel like. Especially in in Seventh Wonder, I can I can just like whatever it calls for. I can be creative with it and try to work with it instead of being like this is the singer I am. Uh, I'm I'm just like this is the music I am. Yeah. Uh, it does make sense. Um, I would say though that um, the the result of that is that you do in fact have a style, and that's maybe where uh, yeah. We all and know when we hear when we hear you sing a song, whether it's with these or with if it's a collaboration like with um, Arion, which we'll talk about in a second. By the way, we're almost at an hour. I want to respect your time. I've got a lot to talk about. Do you have a hard stop at two? No. Okay. Well, you tell me if I'm getting long in the tooth here, but your career kind of, in my view, demands a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. I, I think it's fun. You know, it's it's a different, that's also why I wanted to do this interview because I was watching, I think, with James Debris. Yeah. And I thought, I thought your, your, um, your, your view and on, on things was a little bit different and, uh, and you're very knowledgeable, right? So, so it's, it's fun because it, it takes a different angle. Which yeah, I, I, enjoy it. I really enjoy it. I well, thank you. I um, I, I hope that people enjoy enjoy these. We're getting some good response, and and um, and I and I I like to talk to vocalists in particular that um I think are just kind of working at the height of the craft right now. Um, so anyway, so let's let's keep talking about your music. The last the last 
or the most recent seventh wonder record was Tiara. And um, it was another, it was another um, concept album. And it was also, I think in the same universe as the great escape. Am I, is that right? There's some hints in there. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's about, you can say it's a, they're related. They're not like it's not a sequel or anything. Not a continuation. Nope. But uh, it's uh, it definitely has some elements there and some some hints and we flirt a little bit with the with the same theme and lyrics. But um, yeah. Will you true. will you um, will you return to this sort of meta thing with the future records or was that sort of a one time instance where there were some resonances between the records? I think it just happened to be that way because we wrote again me and andreas we wrote the story together and it was just something it's very graphic when we when we make like uh when we work together We're, we understand each other really good when it comes to to that like so so and we were in this earth this space kind of thing you know uh, again so and then when I, I think I wrote the lyrics for that part that flirted, that, or maybe we did it together. I can't remember. Um, but it just there's a line in there that that flirts for sure with the, uh, with that. I don't know why we did that, but it just well, happened. it's it's a it's an echo of something that um, totally. Ariane does a lot. He has sort of big worlds that he inhabits with multiple records. And I want, I want to talk about that in a second. But I just before we move on, I want to tell folks, if you've not heard the Tiara record, there's a there's a lot of diversity on that record. Um, there's there's a song, a couple of call-outs. There's a song called The Truth that's very rhythmic in nature. It doesn't sort of grow into a sort of typical progressive metal bombast. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But this, this gives a flavor um, that I think is um, valuable when you're trying to, to do storytelling in a record. Um, uh, there's a song called Procession that's just ki- got a killer organ in it. So y- there's these, um, there's these, this complexion to it that the that you guys I think um, did really artfully, where you were using the music to highlight some of the narrative. And uh, I guess I, I I call attention to it, Tommy, because I love concept records, um, and I'm it's pretty transparent to me when a when a band just kind of writes a bunch of tunes and then tries to to force fit a narrative versus thinking about it a little bit. And if, unless I miss my guess, you guys are in the latter category when you approach the music. Yeah. Most of the absolute, like the lion's share of the music was written after the fact that we, you know, we had, I think we had one song maybe, you know, that we, but we still had the, that we had the luxury in the, in the early stage to put there where we thought it suited. Right. Yeah. We needed a, we need a rock song or we need a, it was a really crazy song or, you know, something yeah, like yeah. that. But um, most of the songs were written. We were handing out tasks to everyone to write the, you know, maybe uh, Kurt, which is the keyboard player. He, you know, he's good at doing crazy scores and stuff. And so I, I wrote, I wrote the intro. I programmed the intro, um, which is uh, kind of like a Batman meets uh, Star Wars tune yeah uh and then you know where my knowledge doesn't go far enough uh, i know i know what i want to hear and, and it sounds pretty true to what it came out but there's always something you know and he knows more about the you know where every every instrument has its range and every you know all that stuff sure 
so he he kind of just took it over and 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 did it but everyone ha- you know gets tasks you know and then i wanted to write an opener and, and a closer for the album and the ballad of course always usually right um but uh and then Yo- johan he he has his style of writing so we want we needed him to write a certain style this guitar player and uh, andreas uh, the bass player to wrote something else and then um it was the first album with uh, our new drummer stefan norgren so he, he also contributed with his song so yeah i mean it came together and we're definitely in the latter um yeah yeah i mean it, um it it's it's evident and I, I still end up enjoying um, concept albums that, that do it other ways, but I just I don't think they ever quite rise to their uh, their ambition of having the music help sort of convey you know the story. Um, yeah. So I love I love Seventh Wonder music. I, I I'll be honest with you, I wasn't as familiar with it. Um, so this was an opportunity to get to dive into a, a style of music I love. Um, so I'm excited to hear that you guys are doing another record. That's cool. Yeah, that is cool. And I just wanted to touch on the truth because you mentioned the truth, the song, and it's very yeah. different. It is super different. Like, yeah. But that's also if the 30 minute song was the different thing on the Great Escape. Um, this was the different thing, the different flavor that we hadn't done before. Like kind of like a Toto esque, um, yeah. uh, acoustic how half acoustic at least but something that was different but in, we needed that kind of appendix to to um to to tell the story you know when the when the girl she she comes to this the the, the ever once and uh, she uh, she's supposed to tell the story why human race uh like what you know she's basically supposed to lie um why the human race is not to be extinguished from the face of the earth, right? Yeah. And uh, she is the one chance that the earth has to to survive. And she just she just sticks, stays she stays true to her truth and says, "Well, you know what? I can't do it. Like I, I can't. You know, we we are this. Yeah. And in in that you know that makes it that is the actual turning point of the story too, where where they start with where the ever ones start to uh realize that maybe there is hope anyway because she because she was so pure right yeah but I love uh, that. but that's yeah and that's the song and i i wrote you know there's a bass thing in the beginning there that starts with the bass and the drums uh that's just a funny funny side note i, I wrote that thing and gave it to andreas and he hate he hated me for it like he totally hated because <laughs> the bass it's crazy it doesn't you can't play it like you can't play it, so, so you programmed it. I programmed it because I can't play bass like good enough. So, uh, yeah, I've I'm guilty of that too. If you do something <laughs> with software and then a, a human says the hand doesn't work that way. Exactly. So then I say make it work like that, and then he made it work like that. So that that's really cool. Yeah, the he, song. Sorry, go ahead. Super, he's superhuman that way, though. He can play anything you give to him. He just maybe needs to cho- change one note here and there, but but. He's if anyone could could learn anything in, in life except for direction, it would be him. <laughs> well, that that t- you're right. That tune is it's one I made specific notes on because it's got this this sort of really creative rhythmic nature to it. 
Um, then it comes in with some strings and it ends, you know, it gets more grand with, with um, guitar and stuff. So it's got this internal progression too. Um, it's a, yeah, it's, it's one of the highlight uh, tracks on the record for sure. Um, okay. So let's transition to some of your work, at least briefly with um, Arian. So you've been tapped three times. You were on the theory of everything uh, the Source and Transitus, the studio albums, right? Yep. Um, were you also on the any sort of of the live? I was on the live DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. He, I mean, he clearly, I mean, he's made a career with just a few exceptions out of writing epic, sort of rock and metal operas. That's that's his calling card for sure. Yeah. So the the he and by the way, he told me to tell you hello because I told yeah. him we were going to be talking. Yeah. Um, he, he, um, the fact that he's tapped you so many times, I think, uh, is a, is a compliment to an acknowledgement, <clears throat> excuse me, an acknowledgement, uh, of your ability to sort of inhabit and to, to communicate narrative since that's really a core component of all of his music. I wanted to ask just for some flavor from you on your, your work with him. Did you guys, co-locate to to do this did you record remotely you know how much sort of um how much were you aware of all of the, narr the all the narrative pieces when you kind of came to the recording process yeah he wanted me to the first time which was the theory theory of everything he wanted me to come there because he works with the you know he doesn't really uh, work remotely with just a few people that he knows yeah do it and um so yeah i was i was at his place, and uh, I think we had two days. Um, and I had just um, oh, wait a minute, you you ha only had two days to record? Yeah, um, two days. Uh, Holy cow, left, dude! I think it was uh, Saturday and a Sunday, or Friday and Saturday, I, something like that. That's remarkable. Yeah, but it was like that. That one I had maybe like fifteen parts or something. Uh, and uh, but the thing is that before then I just have to say that I, I'd screwed my voice up. Oh no! Uh, pretty bad. Like I had a bleeding in my vocal cord from one from recording, and um, so I couldn't sing for half a year uh, at all. Like no no high notes. And I and of course I didn't go. I was stupid. I didn't go to a, a doctor or anything. So I just thought it was just gonna go away. But um, I tried to keep singing on it all the time. So I think I it never healed. And it was to the point where I was like, "Holy smokes! I think maybe my career is done." You know, like I can't, I can't do a high note anymore. Like, what is, what's happening? Um, and then uh, this is going to turn into a long story. No, let's hear it. I want to hear it. Yeah. Um, and I, it was when I recorded the song "Inner Enemy." Uh, for any, anyone who heard that, I, I recorded a whole day. I recorded all the vocals. For that song, and then there was this at the end. It was this super, uh, not super high, but a high note at the end, at the very end. And um, I had already had like eight hours of recording or something in under my belt, so I was I was you know, getting tired, man. Yeah, tired. And um, it didn't come out the way I wanted. I was and I was just I was doing it and doing it and doing it a couple of times. Because uh, I want, I knew what I wanted to hear. Like that's my problem always. Like I knew I wanted what I wanted to hear, and if I can't get it, I need to try again, right? Or or wait. But I, 
I had to go to this other studio to record, so I didn't want to go there again. So I, uh, I just kept on doing it. No one was telling me to. Uh, I was just stupid. And um, I, there was this high note, and I wanted to be straight first, and I wanted to have a little bit of grit in the beginning, and I wanted to have a vibrato at the end, and then the little ad lib that I, that I wanted to do at the end. So I was like, I got to do this. Anyway, I did it. And then I was like, huh, that's weird. Like, I feel like I'm getting hoarse. Uh, it's progressively getting more and more hoarse over the course of the day and or the night because it was already late. And then the next morning, I, there was no sound coming out. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, that's not good. Yeah. And it sounded like I dropped two octaves uh, if, if there was a sound coming out. So I was like, oh, that's not good. Um. And it wasn't because I, I I had like a hemorrhaging of my um, one of my vocal cords. Wow, dude. Yeah. So I didn't know that until half a year later. But what but uh, remind me the song you were tracking when that happened? Inner Enemy. Inner Enemy. Yeah. Man, it's just it's not a super high note at the end, but it's it's was enough when you're tired, you know, to to grade, but slowly grade it, grade it until. I had a bleeding, and um, that's, yeah, that's also me. Just to, before you go on, like this is just instructive for because I know we've got musicians that that follow the channel. Um, eight hours of uh, vocal work in a studio is wow, that's insane amount. Um, you know, especially when you're when you're some of it at least is is athletic music. Um, that's so the fact that you can had some some of the most important or at least the biggest notes at the end doesn't surprise me at all that that was a challenge like eight hours for people who don't know eight hours in a vocal studio the, the voice tires just having an hour-long conversation um okay sorry I, I wanted to do my editorial that's really good i i appreciate that because don't do that people uh that's that's just dumb and uh but i was i was coming from a place where i could be like two weeks in the studio singing and uh and i was, thought i was you know i wasn't gonna get hurt but i definitely did something stupid there and then uh coming out of that we had i think the first show i had after that was um sweden rock with camelot uh so on the big stage like thirty thousand people wow so four days before that i still couldn't sing um and here comes here comes like the one of my biggest things that I still use today uh, as a tool to warm up and to uh, cool down uh, and to when I'm tired to loosen my voice up and massage my my vocal cords and that's I went to a doctor and he said you have you have a you've had a vocal bleeding because and he showed me like one one vocal fold was just still when the other one was trying to vibrate and it, that's why i couldn't take any high notes and i was like okay so what do i do I, I have a show in four days and it's not just a club show or anything it's, it's kind of like an, an important yeah. thing coming up <laughs> Thirty thousand <So>, people <laughs> yeah so he, he's like okay I, i'm gonna refer you to one of these one of my um, friends who was happened to be an opera singer and a coach and I went to her and she gave me this straw um, 
it's a straw that you you hum into or blow into uh, and do different exercises into water and it's called I think you can look it up it's called laxvox um, and I, it's I see it everywhere now I had never seen it before then but I see it everywhere now everyone's using it like everyone Arion is using it everyone is behind the scenes just blowing their little bottle yeah but uh, it's a really good tool and she said you just you you just have to be quiet for uh, up until don't say anything up until you're actually going on stage uh don't say anything and do blow in this uh little straw for i think it was now like a min a minute every hour and don't say anything and i'm like like that sounded like it's not gonna work of course yeah but yeah but i did it i didn't say anything four days and I didn't open my mouth until I walked on stage and um, I could sing like nothing happened. So I, uh, that I swear by that thing because it was six months of not being able to sing. And then four days I was uh, able to, to complete the whole set. I was tired after. But, yeah. But I, um, James Labrie uses this. Okay. Uh, and a female vocalist that I admire a lot who sings uh with Trans-Siberian Orchestra also uses this straw thing. I don't have one. I'm going to go get one immediately after we're done here. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I mean it, it's just a, another tool, but it it happened to work perfectly for me for what I needed. Yeah. I use it on tour before every show, after every show uh as a warm up, as a cool down. Um it's awesome because what what I've always struggled with is that I want to if there's something is this tension or anything here? Um, and I feel like I'm restricted. I just want to put something. I want to take my hand and like moustache. You want to get to the vocal cords to somehow loosen them up, but you can't because yeah. they're in there, right? The only thing you can do is kind of like hum and you can like massage your muscles and uh, all that stuff and, and like jog and stuff like that. But you can't physically do anything inside to the vocal cords, right? except for drinking water, but which takes a couple hours. But so this is the only thing that I feel must like does something physical to the actual vocal cord. Like it, it, it vibrates the vocal cord in a healthy way yeah. to loose, loosen uh, tension. And it, it works. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've heard, like I said, I've heard, you know, vocalists talk about this. It's in a the a lot I've many I've heard talk about um, humming, just really soft humming as another thing they do to try and just um, relax. I'll have I even have the thing where I'll like I'll be listening to you, and even without vocalizing, I'll feel my larynx res- responding and moving as though I'm making, and so it's still exercising. Um, and and I I don't think I'm unique in that regard. I think other people have that same reflexive. Um, thing but as uh, the vocal trainer i had would say what you just did too he, he would say speech is the enemy to the singer so you know then you, you think about a guy like you who who has to talk to a guy like me uh you know on the day of a show meet and greets sound check you know and i've said this before but there's a, a, a whole number of things that require you to use your voice and those things are sort of deci- they, they they have a tax they're, they're, you're spending some of your vocal energy before you even get to the show totally totally so, that's so true and I, I i try to avoid interviews on the same day uh as much as i can yeah 
and um, if I have to do them, I uh, I make sure it's quiet around me. Uh, so we, we we go somewhere else. I can actually keep my volume down. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and um, try to not make them long, just short. And 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 I also try to think about that. I do that all the time though before a show. I try to think about how I'm speaking. You know, like I'm speaking. If I'm speaking right now, I'm not using any good technique. I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking very like poorly. But if I would speak with someone, I would I would probably not. I would keep my my uh, um, abdominal pressure, uh, and I would uh, make sure I'm not squeaking on no on the end notes. Like I have a habit of like going, okay, uh, uh, like that. If yeah. that's not very good, so yeah. I would make sure I'm I'm talking maybe a little more like this. You know, I, I don't I don't uh, I, I don't go down to squeaky. Yeah. Or anything because that tires me, right? It's like whispering tires you. Exactly. Exactly right. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. 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 Whispering, it, it, it's counterintuitive, but whispering when you think you're preserving actually creates a frictive nature in the vocal cords that's, that's um, taxing. So it, it's better to speak mi- sort of mildly, but try and keep the, the resonance in what you're saying. Um, these are all really smart things. I've never heard a vocalist talk about this. Um, so I appreciate you sharing. I think a lot of folks will be interested and I think vocalists will take good cues from this. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. So see, even, even the absence of some formal coach, you're doing so many of the things that sort of pros do, um, which I think is why you're able to, to tour on such an aggressive, um, schedule and with such aggressive music. Um, I'm, I'm impressed. It's, uh, that's really valuable. Um, advice Tommy's just given everybody. Um, okay, let's let's. Uh, so, well, I wanted to just, so back on the Aryan thing. You um, when you you had started to tell the story that you got there. Uh, did you did you arrive and you had had the vocal problems, or by that point had you kind of gotten past them? No, I still had them. Like I, that was after the fact that I did that show, but I still had, you know, like I couldn't sing forever. Or I couldn't do like a lot of taxing work. I, it'd get tired and it'll, it'll get it'll cramp up on me again, or swell. So that was after the fact. But I was um, so I did maybe one and a half days. But but the high parts there was a few high parts that I heard in my head that I wanted to do. But I I was too tired. I couldn't do it. Um, and it, it, the voice would crack and stuff. So I I would uh, I said okay I'll do that. Like I do the re- like the one or two takes at home and send you when I get home because we only had these two days. And uh, so I did that and he he was really happy with that. He was like, oh my God, like, because I rewrote some of the melody and like just to f- make the, make it fit my voice. Yeah. I did it on a day where I was feeling good. Um, so, yeah. So, and he, he was amazing. I mean, I love him and I love his uh, wife, Lori, and their little dog i mean there's such hum, such nice people and uh i remember one of the first parts that i was singing it was a really soft and delicate part and uh, uh i sang it and 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 uh i started crying in the studio i was like i was just it was ama- it's amazing you know it's encouraging too right absolutely yeah i mean you know he he's so uh sort of renowned for writing epic work 
that has a lot of um, dynamics in it. Um, and I've, I've only, he's only, I've only heard the story a couple of times of people that he was willing to do any remote work with. So I think it, sh it, it also speaks to some level of confidence he had in you that he, he let you record remotely on a few things. Yeah. And, uh, and then, then the last, the last two, or the, the next following two, I, I, I never went to his place. I just recorded everything at okay. home. Uh, makes sense. So, because he, he knew he didn't have to fly me over anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I would just interpret whatever he gave me and try to make it my own. So sometimes I would change melodies. Some, sometimes I would just interpret it a little differently. So I try to put my, my kind of moniker or my, you know, my style into yeah. it. No, it, it comes through for sure. Um, the, all great records. Um, the, I, I uh, Arian is another one that I was loosely familiar with. I've heard some stuff, but his, uh, his catalog so deep. And so, um, those are, those two paths intersected at the time I was, you know, getting ready to chat with him about things. I was doing the same for you. And, and there were several records that were, we worked on together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about Camelot. Um, the, the, how did the um, the nod to come and do that? It was is it a consequence of you kind of filled in on the tour and then they said that's got to be the guy full time? Can you tell us the story of sort of getting the becoming a part of the Camelot family? Yeah, I mean, uh, started really with uh, um, Seventh Wonder again. I mean, that was kind of what led to it. Because we we were playing Prague Power. I don't know if you're familiar with Prague Power. Very familiar, yeah. Um, in Atlanta, and we were we were uh, there with Seventh Wonder. We were going to go there with Seventh Wonder to play, and uh, Camelot was headlining the day of our our show. So we played somewhere in the middle, and Camelot played last. Um, but before, I think it was like a week or five days or something like that, four days before before I was we, we were going there. And uh, this Thomas calls me, which is the guitar player of Camelot, and he, they're having a problem because they don't have a singer for for the tour and for and which is going to kick off uh, in Atlanta. So he asked me if I if I could. Um, I think he, he went through the singers that was already there, you know, to see if anyone could help him out. And I said, I honestly, I was, I was super sick. I was sick like a dog like uh, a couple of days before I was going to go. So I couldn't even rehearse my own stuff. Um, so, and, and I was like, honestly, I don't think I can help you. I can maybe, I can maybe learn one or two songs if that helps you. So I learned, I think two songs or I, one song, I think, uh, Eden Echo, just by listening to it. Like never, never tried to sing it or anything. Cause I was, I was sick. I had to try to, um, uh, say my voice but um yeah and then on the on the day of the show i just popped in when they were doing the set i think um or i know that they flew uh, michael erickson from uh, circus maximus in to do that show and then they had to cancel the tour the rest of the tour unfortunately but um uh yeah that's how it started i was just up there for one song and um then we started talking, me and Thomas, more and more, and, and you know, back and forth. And I did an audition 
audition um, tour when I was a backup singer <laughs> too. Like Fabio was singing, Fabio Leone was singing. Yeah, yeah. Backup guy and Elise Ridd was a backup singer with me. So it was an interesting, interesting uh, thing. But uh, then I, I, I think what what got me the part or what got me the job in the end was probably not being a total asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and uh also that i could write right like i could i could uh because i auditioned for for a ballad and i wrote the the melodies and the words for the song that later came to be the song for jolie uh that was on the first album silverthorn and that was the first thing i ever did for 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 camelot writing wise and i was just writing it over the music that was there and that's i think how i got the part too you know like they you wanted someone that could write his own melodies and lyrics. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't know that they could have found a, a better replacement. Um, not that you're a replacement, because that makes it sound like, you know, you you filled the slot that and doing the things that your predecessor did, and that's not the case. But the, the music just, I think, requires a kind of um, sensibility, vocal sensibility, that... Um, you know, it, it's unique. I mean, it's part of the reason that I think Camelot is having increasing success is that it's, it is unique and you're a part of that. Your vocal stylings are part of that. Um, the, I, I'm just about to ask you what you already answered about the writing process. It sounds like, um, I know there's some, some vocalists I talked to, they're not as instrumental in the, in the actual writing process. Sounds like at the very least you're writing melodies and lyrics or you actually um, writing some of the music as well. From the first album, I didn't write any music uh, except for I was working with the with the producer in the studio, like piecing things to, things together, like ideas. And I was I guess I was writing a little bit still with him, but uh, mostly the 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 lyrics and the melodies from the first album because yeah. I had it was um I did a lot of research how how my how Roy was doing it, you know, like in the beginning, I, I had to see, cause I didn't really listen to Camelot a lot before. So in order to be able to write something that speaks to the same audience, I, I, I kind of listened to the old stuff and, and um, the older stuff, you know, that came before me and just to see like what, what intervals, what emotions, what, what kind of taste of words, what kind of, what, what, what's the, what's the, uh, core you know uh, how how is was he approaching this and maybe i can just take that and i can make it my own but with a similar flavor right right so that that was really i i, I learned a lot by doing that research to to figure out who i was going to be as a, as a uh, front man of camelot um but it was from the first album i wrote everything like the together with Sasha and and Oli some parts here and there uh but mostly myself so that's uh that's kind of remarkable um i mean they it, it seems as though they had already sort of you done some test drives with them so they had a sense of you already but for a, a band with that much that is that established with that much following to let the new singer come in and take the the mantle of doing a lot of the lyric and mel melodic writing. Um, to me, that's that's suggestive of their confidence. 
and it is something that I wanted to, to um, mention. One of the things I always look for in music is unpredictability. And for the, me, what that means is that I can't an- always anticipate where the music is going to go next. You do a really good job of wh- when you're writing your melodies of seating the, the melodic line against the chord progressions and the other instrumentation in a very pleasing way, but also finding melodic changes that um, I think are not predictable. Um, and that and that's that the, the part of the delight of music is the surprise of it, at, at least for musicians and people who listen to a lot of music, because if it if you know what's coming next, it, it gets, you know, it's kind of same old, same old. Um, and I've wondered this and this is just a speculation. You can tell me what you think about this. But I've wondered if you we like we get the benefit of inheriting um music or melodic sensibilities that you grew up with in a, in a different country. Like, I, I wonder if there's a, a homogeny of melodic choices that Americans make because they've heard so much of the same music, they have the same bass. But when we get to hear you sing, you're, you're like, probably, you know, unconsciously, not unconsciously, subconsciously, um, you're drawing on a, a wealth of other sort of mel- melodies and musical bass that, that are different than us. And I don't know, am I making any sense or does this sound weird? It's it's totally making sense because I, I know also that was one of the deliberate choices that, you know, taking me as a singer because the, the other, the, the guy before me was Norwegian and um, wasn't from the States. Uh, so he, and I think we have a similar flavor, uh, you know, Norwegian and Swedish, they're just, neighbor countries so um so we have like that's differently definitely a difference in uh in how we think melodies yeah from american people i think or from from other parts of the world arabic you know anywhere but we have a different like the melodies are maybe longer they're a little more you know, they don't end where you think they're going to end. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do this thing, man. I'm listening to you sing and I think, oh, he's going to turn this phrase and it's going to have this nice resolve here. And then there's like another three or four measures and the melodic line goes on that like the the any sort of refrain or recurrence happens over a longer amount of music. And so it's less tiring to the ear. Like, I love it, by the way, because it and I think that. It's not the only reason, but it's certainly an ingredient to your music that is separates it from, you know, a lot of the music that comes we get domestically at the very least. Yeah, I mean, it's just a difference, right? Like, uh, I I can appreciate American music and American melodies now because they're they're usually very hooky, like you get these earworms and and maybe <laughs> less less elaborate. Yeah. Sometimes, like they're they're more to the point or or you know on certain notes, where um. Where I, I don't know. I just grew up with ABBA, you know. <laughs> all this, like they're just like, you know, that that's what it is for me. The music, it just uh, comes in, out that way. We, I mean, this is not throwing shade on American music, but because I love so much of it. Yeah. Um, but there is like, there's through radio and through a lot of the music that is our base. There's there's been conventions of that that have just become sort of institutionalized over time. And um, as a consequence, like the you know, and some of it's rooted in in sort of the blues, the standard blues progression. There's a lot of American, even rock music that still kind of 
is that's the bedrock for it. But um, and and, not, and I know that there's blues in other parts of the world. But there is like you guys will other 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 countries they will have a, a progression that is standard to how they think about music that is that is different and usually longer. And so melodic phrases that come from a band like Camelot, they just they're they're uh, they're more extensive. Um, and I, the first time I, I heard you guys, it took me a second just to process. Well, he didn't end it there. He totally should have ended it there. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then I came to sort of appreciate that the, there, was just, there was a difference in the music. And it actually opened, it opened me up um, to listening in different ways. Um, okay. So I, I wanted to acknowledge that. Um, I, I love that. I love that. that uh, but but um, a lot of the rest of the band is from florida aren't they or we i mean it's been a few lineup changes um it's true uh so when i joined the band it was casey grillo from from also from florida tampa uh thomas from tampa and then um, um sean was also from florida originally but um yeah so there were three people from the states and then the keyboard players from the from germany yeah and and now we have the drum a new drummer Alex Landenberg, um, and he is from Germany too. So now we have two Germans, two Americans, and uh, me. Yeah, that's so, good. Very international. Freedom, freedom fighter. <laughs> um, well, I, I I I love it. I love the I love the. It's not co- complex is the wrong word, but there's a there's a certain um, added layer, a certain. Um, extended nature to the the vocal melodies that um i think really sort of make the music distinctive um i also wanted to uh before we move past silverthorn there's there's this suite on there called prodigal son mm-hmm. and it's um i wanted to point folks to it if they've not heard it as a really good example of a song where you use all the various vocal techniques we've talked about, where you'll use falsetto, you'll do some belting, you use the, the lower register, um, you'll do, certainly there's places where you're in a mixed voice, there's places where you'll lend some grit to a turn of phrase or a word to give it some punch. Um, and then there's always sort of this this melodic sense that you have that is, I think, unique. Uh, so if you, if you want like a, a mini cauldron of... Camelot goodness that's a that's a good place to see I mean you should just listen to the whole record but as a it's a it's a place there's like a mini arc in there in my view and um it's, it's a good example of like the many things you do so well um yeah it has a lot of parts for sure and uh, kind of like a little mini epic song I would yeah. say yeah. yeah I agree I, it's really it's really well done a lot of there's a lot of dynamics in it um uh, Camelot fans will know it but uh, i i call it out so people that are less familiar with you can maybe kind of go dial that up and they'll hear what we're talking about um the next the next record's haven um and uh, th- this is an album that started to climb in the charts um u.s billboard uh, at 75 is what i have at the billboard hard rock charts it hit number one um, you guys had a, a lot of success with this, and you you opened on an American leg. You opened for Nightwish, did you not? Uh, that was actually with Silverthorn. Oh, is that Silverthorn? Yeah, that was. I have, the, I have my thing wrong. Okay. That's okay. Uh, 
yeah, that was that was a cool tour though. Like, uh, that was my first American tour. Did you As, play? I guess not that you remember. There, I think I saw that show. I think um, when you opened for them. Um, but but in any case, I want to talk more about about Haven. There's a track on there um, called "Under Gray Skies," and uh, it's beautiful. I mean, and it's it's a it's um there's a lot of these um tribute like covers. That, I don't know if you've seen these on YouTube. Yeah, a lot of people covering that song. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, uh, very popular, and um, it's one of the unique things is it's got um Troy Donnelly, if I'm saying his name correctly, who plays a little bit of the I think the whistle or the pipes on it. Yeah, Julian pipes. But it's got this it's got this beauty to it. Um, but all this, also this kind of languor. Is that a song you wrote? Like, did you do the the melodies and lyrics and any of the songwriting in that one? The uh, instrumental writing. We uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, the main idea for the chorus and the uh, I think a a parts of the word verse came from Oli, uh, and then I I wrote I wrote the the melodies. And the lyrics uh, for it, and I, I rearranged it a little bit in the studio at Sasha's place. So uh, you know, when we once we knew, once I've written, I had written the the chorus melody. We knew, like me and Th- Sasha and Thomas, we we thought like maybe that's cool to to um, you know have that melody featured in the beginning with the pipe, you know, with one of those instruments, and see if he wants to play it and. Yeah. So that, you know that's the part that part came that intro wasn't there of course before I I wrote the lyrics and the and the oh that's cool so that came you know let's let's do a variation of the of that melody as an intro you know and he wanted to do it it sounds awesome you know came so, out it came out really well it's also um, I wanted to highlight the track not just because it's um, become I can't even count how many sort of internet um, covers of it there have been but that um, it's it's balladesque, but it's but it's it it's so different from a typical power ballad um, that it's it's not even you know it does a disservice to call it that. Um, but it does have this. It's definitely got this sort of um, love sensibility because you are in a duet um, and you are talking about you know. Well, you tell me what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I have my idea, but I'd love to hear, like, you talk, since you wrote the lyrics, like, what were you, how were you trying to convey this emotion? I think it started with, uh, uh, you know, like, it's, nowadays, it's really hard, like, to believe in yourself and to, to kind of build a cage around yourself to protect yourself. Uh, And uh, I, I don't want to go in too deep, but... uh, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, telling someone, I, I, I believe in you, you know, yeah. like you, you know, like, uh, no matter if you believe in yourself or not, I believe in you. And I think you have potential. I think you can do great things, you know, and, uh, that's kind of the, you know, like we all go through grief and loss and, and it's, it's, it's easy to close up on yourself, Yeah, but we can all work through it. Kind of. That's the, the that's the the big picture it's it's helpful the reason i ask about it is because it's not um it's not just 
it doesn't just harbor this um, this idea of love song. Um, it's it's bigger than that. And that, so I, rather than me try and interpret, I, I love that idea of um, belief because uh, that definitely comes comes through when you hear that song. It kind of is this shot in the arm around um, with confidence. Um, it, it was one of the first songs that like I really was attracted to. Um, I came to Camelot, like knowing about Camelot later. And uh, that song just, you know, should have been a bigger hit than it was. Uh, uh, I mean, it's got all the, all the earmarks for it. Thank you. I I think um, uh, that's something we, we want to do a lot of, like, we don't want to be that, like a dark force in music. We want to be, we want to be something, it can be dark and, melancholic but it but it always has to have some kind of light at the end of the tunnel for people you know like if it's just a message it's usually a message that you can do it you you're worth it we we you know there's always a way uh you know there's uh that's kind of what we want to convey with with basically everything we do that there's it's not only grief and sadness it's also resolution uh that's um uh, it's it's really interesting to hear you talk that way about the music because it um it delivers that emotional impact um for sure um is one of the reasons I love it there's there's so much music and storytelling to that is so nihilistic anymore um and so there's there's so little little that's hopeful about it and i know that there's a place for that and sometimes you need those super sad or mean or aggressive songs um, but there's um, there's more power in in redemption, I think. It's, it's like um, yeah, there's a lot of power in that. It's you know, it, and it's a strong emotion. Like any anything that's a strong emotion, like it will rise up above something, or it it's um, it calls it, it it speaks to people, and it, it that speaks to us, right? So actually, that's why we're writing it. But it's really cool that people latch onto that because that's the that's the message that we feel we want to say you know we want to you know like it's already really freaking tough being a human as it is like uh we don't have to beat ourselves up we we can just focus on the stuff that we can actually you know like focus on the the good stuff you know yeah well it's a you know not to wax too philosophical but we are living in times particularly in the united states where um people get sort of crucified for their their worst moment. Um, mm-hmm. And in the same way that a vocalist will hit an off note, but that is by no means the measure of who that vocalist is. Any one mistake you make is not the whole of who you are as a person. And music that reinforces that idea of rising above and um, being resilient and redemption, um, I think is, is needed existentially in addition to all the fun and rock and roll that we get, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 um, I don't know, it's uh, and your your music works on both levels. Yeah, I mean, there's enough there's enough uh, music about grief and uh, about I mean, this this is also about taking the grief in, in a different light. Like, there's grief, and it's okay to have grief, you know, because you're gonna get over it. Yeah, not not just like dwelling in the grief, wallowing it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's right. It, Cause it, you know, that can become a vicious cycle if, 
just continuing to reinforce the negative um, where part of the power of music can and should be to elevate you, you know, past it. Um, That's a, and I, um, you hear that in in Camelot music. Absolutely. Um, So just a couple more things. The most recent album was Shadow Theory. As I, as I mentioned at the top, um, it entered Billboard hard rock charts at number two. Uh, and hit Amazon hard rock and metal charts at number one. Um, clearly the most, uh, the best charting record you've had to date. Um, was there anything different in the approach for the most recent record from previous records, or was it just a, a, a natural evolution of you guys are? I think so. I think it's really hard. It's even hard thinking of, thinking back to why certain things end up the way they do, because it's really just, I feel like music's always a, a snapshot of wor- what you were mm. then, right? Like you, that's what came out and that's the process led to all these songs. And it, we had a little less time than um, on that album uh, to do it. I, I wasn't available to to uh, go for such a long time. I went down to Sasha's and I think I was there for a month and I think that was it. Mm. Uh, of course, the music took you know the writing of the music took longer but it, it's all in the in the vocal process everything comes together as as the song that you hear sure. you know yeah, yeah well it's but. a it's a great record um uh, i saw you guys on tour in seattle you played the neptune with um battle yeah. beast and i think was it sonata arctica yep yeah, yeah i was a, i had to tell you um that that venue is a good mid-sized venue um but your stage show was not a mid-sized venue stage show. <laughs> no, no, no. We 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 go for it now. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I was I was telling my buddy that I I came to the show with, in terms of the fixtures on the stage, the lighting was just it was uh, amazing, an amazing show. Like I've um I've never seen a show that beautifully produced in a venue of that size. Like it was a, that's an arena level show in terms of all of the production value wow yeah that's cool that a lot of credit to thomas there you know because he he has a he has the vision for the band you know and and the the uh he's the creative force when it comes to making sure that we grow a step you know we take the next step yeah and um you know we have an amazing light engineer He's really top of the line. He he is um, as as you mentioned, like you you love the the light show, and he puts he puts a lot of love into the lights. That's you can tell. Show. Yeah, and he loves his his job, you know. So we we just very fortunate to work with really you know really talented and great people too, because it's a teamwork for sure. Yeah, and everyone contributes. You know, everything everyone from the band to to everyone, uh, you know, at the boards and. Yeah, I, I actually felt like I underpaid when I saw that show. Um, um, and everything, you it, that night, I'm sure, as many nights, was just hitting on all cylinders. You were in perfect vocal form. Um, the band was great. The, the, the production was great. Um, I had seen you once before, but that show, like, made me, uh, like, a more tried and true fan. Like, um, you guys, it, it, as good as the records are, like, you guys put that same... Um, sound on stage, which is remarkable. Thank you. Yeah, we we uh, 
Uh, usually, if Seattle is kind of because uh, you saw it in, in Seattle, right? In, yeah. In theater. Yeah. Uh, I love that venue though. Like it's, I, I love any venue that has kind of this natural room sound. Yeah. You know, like it, just singing in there is uh, even. I don't know if how the sound is out. Usually, maybe it, it can be terrible in, in places like that. But singing and hearing your voice resonating out in a place like that is is always. I love that. You know, yeah. I, I don't like when I'm not one of those. I, I don't thrive when I hear myself like dry or like I, cracking and whatever it is you know i don't it doesn't help me in my performance yeah here i could i could pop an ear out and i could i could sing with and just enjoy the sound you know like that's and then you relax more as a singer too when you when you trust the things you hear yeah so, no, I, um, yeah it is a, it is a really good venue um and it's got a big sound uh i think it seats like seven or eight hundred but it's got a bigger sound than that and you guys had packed it that night um yeah it's a great venue and you guys did it um you know th just to commend like for folks who haven't seen camelot live like it is it is worth every dollar just in the spectacle um you know it i, I was really I, I was really impressed with that and, I mean, there's a lot of bands they do light and sound and it's an important ingredient um, you guys are artful about it. And, and to your point with your light guy, um, you know, the, the degree, t I don't know if he was writing faders or if some of this was programmed, but the way the lights were reacting to musical changes was really pretty amazing. Yeah. He, I think he has, um, I don't know a lot about that stuff, but he has scenes it's called, right? Like, uh, with certain lights, colors and, and, uh, movement. And I think he programs a lot of it. Um, yeah. To, uh, to go like even even parts of songs like he does pre-production that way so it, that it makes a lot of sense his lights yeah which is also how it, that it's really impactful it taps into that theatrical thing like when there's a ballad there's like this beautiful lighting and and it's all like thought out so after i there's one there's one kind of it's going to sound frivolous but it's not meant that way okay you might be the only singer I know who can pull off wearing a hood and make it look cool. That's good. I'm going to continue put, doing the hood thing. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it gives, uh, it's very consonant with so much of the music, which has, uh, there's a, a, an, a sometimes a, 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 an edge, sometimes a bit of, a, of secrecy or of mysteriousness. And, but that is, that is, um, a form of costuming that um, you have to like, this goes back to the dramatic presentation or, or at least this sort of um, not that it's, it's rehearsed as a as specific movements, but just in inhabiting that music and, and the way you present it, you know, if you, if you were not good at that, um, those costume choices might fall down. Yeah. But, but on the other side, what actually happens is it really enhances the experience of watching you perform because it, it, I don't know. It it lends something to the mystery and something to the um, the persona that that you're you're using when you're when you're per performing these songs. I, I love it to death. Um, but I but you know what? There and this is to your credit. There's just a lot of guys couldn't do that. Like you have the physique, you have the charisma, and the and this this approach that um, allows you to do that and make it really really work. I, I know it sounds frivolous, but I wanted to say it out loud because 
I'm I'm failing to to think of another one that doesn't do it tongue in cheek. Um, mm-hmm. You don't do that. I mean, yours is a yours is it's part of the persona, and it's it's really cool, man. It gives you guys a. I know that you can overthink look a band's look, but you guys have like a very sort of distinctive look and how you present yourself is part of that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Like I, I think maybe part of why it works so well is that I feel cool when I do it. Yes. (laughs) You know, know, like, like if you lean into it, you got to lean into it. You got to, you got to own it. If you have a quirky outfit or if you have like something like that, you gotta, you gotta, first of all, you, you have to, really like it yourself and really like they, i'm not gonna excuse myself for this this is awesome yeah you know? absolutely and that that um, <clears throat> trans if i had to wear it and i didn't like it maybe it didn't work it wouldn't work but it, it's a it's a cool thing i feel powerful when i do it yeah and you, you know? exude that um that comes across and i you know it's part of the experience of getting to go see a concert is you know this transport and um your choices there are part of that. Uh, I wanted to bring it up because you're the only guy I know doing that, and you do it way, you do it well. Um, we've had we've had a few little tidbits about um, where you guys are with the next record. Is there anything you can share? Are you guys like still songwriting? Where are you at? Well, uh, we're we're wrapping it up right now, so that's um, that's exciting. We have we have the songs, and uh, sounds really good. And uh, it's a little, little different in a different way, but uh, uh, I think people are going to really like it. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I I um been writing uh, some more music for this record too, which is which makes me excited. You know, on a personal yeah. uh, level, I, I've contributed more, so um, that's do we, cool. Do we have any timing, or is it too soon? It's a little too soon. Uh, I don't want to say anything stupid, but uh, I think, uh, you know, if, if touring happens next, early next year or in this in the spring next year, it would be cool to have an album out by then. I think that's the plan. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I just got to make a few more recording sessions here and then go into the Seventh Wonder stuff uh, next year. So I, I'm, I, it's a lot of work still. To be done but i i'm i'm really liking what i'm hearing and everyone is kind of happy now so you know at this point yeah well i mean there's there's some some signs that the world's opening up for live entertainment um yep. and i know there's always the specter of a new variant with covid um but so far at least there's i've seen recently the concerts are kind of coming back yep. so um keep our fingers crossed that you guys can get back out on tour but i don't think you have any dates that are set do you we do have in february in the i think the, the idea is that we're going to south america but who knows i mean who knows at this point right Where, yeah that could all change could change it already changed but we hope that that's the that's a possibility still um but i can't i can't say for sure at this point Will you guys, would you guys consider any one of these sort of virtual things? Or is that just not? We haven't talked about it, to be honest. I think maybe not. Uh, just everyone being busy with, with uh, their own stuff anyway. Like it takes a lot of, again, preparation to do something yeah. like that. You don't just throw that together. Yeah, especially not if you want to 
like we have a really high standard of how we want to be perceived and and uh it's just not our thing i don't think maybe it will happen in, in the you know something acoustic or something like that but mm. uh, oh that would be really interesting an acoustic yeah. set yeah but again like right now we're we're uh, focusing on on getting the album ready so we can actually go out touring uh when it's happening and then yeah we all have our little small projects like well uh, seventh wonder is not a small project oh no, no it's <laughs> huge it's huge and i wish i wish uh it was because it's kind of more like, like a hobby right we don't make a lot of money so it's still kind of like the fun hobby uh, have you seen have you seen any camelot fans sort of finding seventh wonder yeah it's been quite a few of those and th that's cool i yeah. mean I think that's part of why we could, as a band, after eight years, go, go tour like some decent venues. Mm -hmm. We 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 never were a touring band really, uh, so we have we haven't organically built our our fan base uh, from touring. So it's but it's been mostly like word of mouth. Yeah, I think. So I, I think we're still considered underground after all this year years you know but uh it was crazy that we could go out and play some good venues and, and it was like so many people coming out like it was amazing you know yeah i think a lot of it is is because of my my, my stuff with camelot the people found seventh wonder through through that you know so we, we could do that which is it's just awesome but um for sure because there's so much good music there and sounds like more to come um and they're while they're distinctive groups they they both sit in the larger under the large um, uh, larger umbrella of like progressive metal or or something, um, and certainly to the degree that you're you're doing concept albums and stuff, um, you know, and you're and you're you're one of the ingredients in both those things. I hope more people come back and find Seventh Wonder who haven't heard of them, and I'd love to see you guys go out and do some do some dates. That would be amazing. Yeah, I mean our last our last dates were. Um the last show we played with Seventh Wonder, it was uh, Frog Power. So I remember I flew. That's another another challenge that I uh, had to face. <laughs> is that trying to juggling try 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 to juggle two bands playing live. Uh, so it kind of like we had to you know a few occasions where I had to play with Seventh Wonder one day and the next day I had to do it one and a half hour camelot set so it's yeah. like it's a lot of material to learn for first and foremost and i suck at lyrics at remembering lyrics oh really <laughs> oh i'm terrible like i'm i'm i think i'm better now but that's always been a, like the week my week you know uh kind of weak point i remember even like being singing with my sister at christmas we have like vhs tapes of of like uh me and her singing like christmas songs and she's like like when i like when i forget the lyrics forget the lyrics all the time. you forget lyrics to christmas songs totally i couldn't i'm i'm really bad with lyrics That's i just funny. even if i write it myself like I, I it's sometimes yeah yeah you ever uh, well, you ever have to use a cheat sheet on stage no then if anything i'll just mumble a little bit oh there you go but um you know like uh, or or uh usually i'm fine you know but there's 
there's a one word here and there uh, that for some reason I, I can't remember what it was. I just, you know, seeing something similar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, some you know, some like sort of strange stuff, now. but totally, yeah, it happens. I, you know, especially when I, it's really hard when I zone out. Like if I zone into something, or if I focus on something in the crowd, or if I, and then it the the preparations really, you know, comes to show. You know, like if I made my homework or not, if I really know the lyric or if I don't. Yeah, because if I if I focus on something else. I trust it to just come to me instinctively. You know, I, like I muscle memory. Yes. And if it doesn't, I know I, I cheated. Yeah. Well, so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's really interesting. I've, I, ha I, I once did a, a, a festival in Germany that I had to take on short notice and I had to use some, some cheat sheets because it was like, 21 songs I had to learn in, in about 10 days. And I, I didn't know any of the material. So, um, Oof. I can appreciate the it's a nightmare. Yeah. It, you know, it's fun to be, to, and I, it's not that I've done very many of those. I, I've done a handful, but the, it's so nice to be back to what you said before, to be prepared. You know, you just feel you're so much more comfortable prepared, in prepared. performing the music. If you're not in your head about what the next word's going to be. Totally. And that's my nightmare. Like, Going on stage with a with a with a, a repertoire that I don't know is like awful. Yeah, it, it's that's that's the stuff of nightmares for me. Like I've even I have had nightmares about that stuff. You know, like I'm just I'm just on stage, and these are the songs we're playing. We're playing them now, and I have no freaking idea what it is. Like that's awful. So I try to really make sure I know them. Uh, to, you know. To the point that I can do three times, uh, three three things at the same time. Yeah, I still remember the lyrics. There's a lot going on at a Camelot show, so I can appreciate the, the preparation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, in a good way. That'd but, be, yeah. yeah. And then you've got you've got songs where you've got um, vocalists there with you, and you're having to do some in interaction. You know, those mm. are all things that, that that require, and I know that that can happen organically, but. Um, you know that there that's a lot of things to be juggling in your head um yes it, it is and the worst thing was the was the dvd that we did that was that was that was crazy because uh, we had all the guests and we had songs that we never played before and basically didn't rehearse before oh wow and uh, all these cues and this and that and oh and it was in the beginning of a tour so we, we didn't have the machine kind of oiled up uh so that was stressful which which dvd in, was that it's camelot live dvd i'm the empire from the 013 in tilburg okay um the newest one so yeah if you haven't watched that maybe maybe give it a give it a yeah i will because uh, that that turned out really cool and it, it's the whole you know it's camelot at its craziest you know yeah with all the all the gimmicks and all the sing-alongs and lights and smoke that's great yeah i'll go i'll go find a copy <laughs> of that for sure yeah so i've only got uh, one or two more questions um you kind of heard what's next for you musically the one of the things i like to ask has to do with like if, is there another mountain you want to climb and it, it could be creative it could be there's another creative endeavor in your life whether it's painting or 
whatever, or it could be non-musical, um, but some sort of ambition you have that you've had to hold in abeyance because there's just not been time for it. There's something in your future that, you know. Well, something I haven't done that I want to do is a solo album. Like oh, wow. Else. And uh, I don't know what that's going to sound like yet. That probably, probably something more. Like I want to do different things, but definitely one where it's more acoustic stuff. You know, there's vo- there's room for the voice to do all the nuances and stuff. Yeah. And I li- really love that because I have I have an affinity towards ballads and acoustic music, storytelling. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a strength of yours. Um, no, I, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy I would, it. Your that's fans would love that. I, I I think I hope so. Like I don't know if that's the truth, but I think so. Uh, well, if know. if the if the gauge for it is response to songs on that we've kind of talked through, and others that we didn't get time to talk through that are that are more acoustic and softer in nature, as any indication, I think that that would be really well received. Yeah, yeah, I. I I um, am excited about the idea, you know, and, <clears throat> and I think that's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. It's just that it can't happen at the same time as Camelot or Seventh Wonder because it just takes all my too much, yeah, all my energy and creativity. And I just want to lay down after those months and do nothing. <laughs> but because uh, it's it's visceral for me, it's writing music and recording music is is visceral. Like it's it just takes. It's uh, it's a whole body experience. <laughs> so when you like when you get when you come back off of a performance, you guys do you do the, the meet and greet stuff at the end of all of that? Or are you just too wiped? We do the meet and greet stuff before. Before, yeah. And uh, usually after a show, I'm wiped. Like I'm just I just sit and like. Yeah. I, I I'm just like done for the day. Yeah, it, um, that's not surprising to me um, in seeing you perform a couple of times live. It's definitely sort of a, um, a as you say, a, a, what you, how would you call it? A full body experience? Yeah, totally. Like it's uh, just the whole, everything from mind to body to, uh, it's just involved. And, and I feel like singing is very, uh, it's an emotional task. Yeah. It definitely takes, is. Yeah, it is. And you feel it after you, you sing. You're like, oh. like, you can be happy, of course, or you, you can be totally drained. I'm usually drained because I, it's just, yeah, it's just a. Satisfied, but but like, you know, definitely, a, a well, it's like a well-earned tired. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, and but then I'm a little bit of an introvert. Not it's not not a little bit of an introvert. I mean, I'm an introvert, uh, and um, so I I kind of claim the back lounge for a couple hours after the after the shows when the bus is moving, yeah. and just like steam my voice and blow in the straw and just sit in quiet or listen to some some easy listening. Um, like I listen to a Swedish singer songwriter that is my favorite, and you know he doesn't sing a bunch of crazy melodies that make my larynx go up and down without, <laughs> without singing. Uh, so it's more like storytelling, almost like talking, you know. Who is and, it? Can- uh, Lars Winnerbeck. Okay. Uh, and uh, he's he's huge in Sweden, but only in Sweden because he sings in Swedish. 
And and I, when I listen to music, I especially when I want to relax, I, I listen to Swedish music because I don't have to. There's no filter. Yeah. No filter on it, and uh, it just goes straight into my my heart or my brain. Uh, I don't have to decipher anything or or translate anything in real time. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, so I just it gets, it gets it's like a home, like a coming home feeling a little bit. Yeah. And I listen to that, and I I do my my uh, vocal cool down, and I sit alone. You know, I sit alone there if. if Maybe Alex is practicing drums next to me, but because he's also a nerd, like he he practices uh, his drums and paradiddles and all that stuff in the back lounge, like at night, like two or three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of my routine, and then I usually go to bed three, four in the morning. Wow, yeah. And then yeah. Uh, th- you guys travel mostly by bus or. Yeah, for th- for the tours in in Europe and the States, we we do uh, buses and uh, or one bus. But um, so I mean, it's a lo- lot of people on a little space, on a little area. Yeah. So um, I'm happy that I usually I can have the the back lounge for myself for a couple hours when everyone is going to bed, or is in the front lounge party party partying. <laughs> Just wind down. I'm going to have to look up. I won't understand the language, but I'll have to look up your singer-songwriter. Um, yeah, it's kind of Bob Dylan-esque. Okay. It, it's kind of like that uh, that thing. You know, it's not the melodies that is in focus. It's the lyrics, and, and it's beautiful instrumentation Yeah. Uh, most most of the time. Very folky here and there. And I don't know. It, it just speaks to me. Well, it, it's... Um in that vein, I'm uh, I'm excited when the time permits for you to do uh, a solo record that is softer and more acoustic. I think uh, you know, based on everything I've heard you do in that vein, um, that, that you know, I would love that, and I'm sure I'm sure I'm not the only one. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I I'm excited, and uh, I have another. F- I had a friend that got me into like music, actually. Uh, back in when I was 15, 16, and he was uh, an amazing. He is an amazing guitar player, and uh, he wrote Swedish songs, like uh, like um, cheeky songs for kids, basically. But uh, so I started doing that too. That's how I get, got into music and picked up the guitar the first time. But then I started just writing my own songs in Swedish. And then I got picked up by by this uh, this guy. He's like. Because I started listening to like Sonata Arctica, that was like one of my first metal bands that I listened to, uh, and uh, Dream Theater, of course. Sure. Uh, I I didn't know that I was gonna like progressive metal at all. It was not what I was listening to. I was listening to like Whitney Houston and and uh, 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 Michael Jackson. You know, that was that was what I what where I was. Yeah. And then this music came along, and it was like crazy. You know, like yeah. uh, Dream Theater, it was seems from a memory, that album, uh, for me. It was like um, The Spirit Carries On. That was the first song I heard, and I was like, that is so nice. If this is if this is uh, progressive metal, I like it. Yeah. You know, like, because that was so, a ballad. So, and I was like, okay. And then I, I just loved that album from then on. And so that was really cool. And um, 
that's how I started. But that was late. Uh, so you were 15 or 16, and you had a buddy who kind of introduced yeah. you to it. And you're, but you're yeah. still friends. We, we, yeah, we're 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 really good friends still, and we talk all the time. Uh, he's in Sweden still, but we. Uh, I wanted him to be a part of uh, of whatever I do solo solo wise right yeah so because he's an amazing guitar player he thinks melodies the exact way the same, same way i am um and uh uh it'll be just very intuitive we work together uh writing stuff and um i think yeah so that i was a, a way of paying him back for everything he did for me because he first of all he got me into this like i wouldn't be here without him and uh second Second of all, it was um, uh, he recorded he recorded me on uh, Mercy Falls the whole album. Oh wow! Um, he sang choirs when I was tired. Sometimes he or he would help out, like get a flavor, a different flavor in. Uh, he did the same thing uh, on a couple of songs for Tiara. He came just he. He called in sick from for work from work and and just came to me live with me for a week and just pounded out harmonies like he just he's just a friend and he's an amazing musician and i want to i want to pay my respect uh also by having him because he deserves to be on something you know? that's really cool is it is he doing music uh, as a livelihood or is he had to do something else to sort of sustain himself yeah, I know he's not not doing music as a as a matter. He he's an as an art director for a for a company. So he's very good. He did the artwork for The Great Escape and uh like all the stuff in there and he did the artwork for Tiara. Nice. Um so he he does that. He shot our video for the in in random. He's just a guy who just does a little bit of everything is, you know? Yeah. And uh, our photos, he took them and he's just he's just our go-to guy now, I guess. Yeah, very creative. Very creative and, and kind of like a crazy genius in a way. You know? Yeah, that well, that makes it that much more exciting to think <laughs> about you guys doing something and you kind of pulling back a, a, a friend that helped you get started. And so a guy who ha- it sounds like he's extremely creative in his own right. He is. I mean, to – yeah, I mean, he would be – if I would say anyone that has the same, like, uh, idea about music that I know that that's him. You know, we we somehow we jive really really well uh, with uh, uh, basically better than anyone I've ever worked with, and we haven't really worked together yet, except for writing those Swedish songs in in the beginning of two thousand. All right, man. That's um, we're all gonna hold you to it once you get your commitments done for Seventh Wonder and for Camelot. Yeah, we'll see what where this goes. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, we that, that's uh, I mean, it, it, I love it all, but I I do I'm like you a little bit. I do um, have a bit of a penchant for balladesque tunes where um, the voice gets to occupy more of the space in the song. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it, which isn't surprising because vocal voice is my instrument, but I think a yeah. lot of people are like that. I think so too. I mean, that's really—it's all about the song and the delivery of the song. And it's really hard sometimes to hear it over metal, metal yeah. music to hear all the nuances that is in a vo- in a, in a vocal. Yeah. 
but and that's something else I, I thought I didn't know about myself. Like I thought, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a metal singer, I guess, you know. But and then I went to this vocal coach of my my wife, Cobra. My, my wife is Cobra Page, for anyone who doesn't know that already. And uh, from the band, she had her she has had her band, Cobra and the Lotus, for forever. Hasn't she also performed with you? Yeah, yeah, she has. Yeah. Um, but I went to her vocal coach because uh, she's an amazing singer, Cobra, and, and and she said, "Come, come with me, and you know, see." Is that something you want to do? Because she knew I was I was in suffering a little bit with my voice, and I went there. And she's like, the first thing that the, when I sang a little bit to the the teacher was like, oh, like the reaction was like, huh, like that's uh, that's that is very interesting. And I was like, that can't be good, you know. Like that's, that's probably <laughs> like, why are you even here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or something like that. But she's like, wow, like. His, I didn't even know that, but it's different way, different voice types. And she said, "You're you're a light lyric tenor." And uh, I'm like, "Oh, uh, that doesn't. I don't know what that means. I'm pretty sure you mean a heavy vocal, like <laughs> <laughs> heavy tenor." Now she meant light, and that means that I'm not even supposed to sing over heavy, like loud music, because I don't have a loud voice. I have a super articulate voice that yeah. you want to hear a story from but not necessarily can't overpower anything you know like so anything i do that sounds really powerful it's not very loud it's uh it's just uh it's uh it's hard to say what you know it's not it's not coming from a loud point it's it's coming from a texture and a and a emotional point yeah I know exactly what you mean. And I think there that a lot of vocalists and I, and I include myself in this. Um, they, they work too hard. They, they push too hard and it, they don't end up having the um, necessary endurance for a tour um, because they're, they're, they're requiring too much of themselves for the volume and the beauty of metal. One of the beauties of metal is you have all of this stuff to help amplify your voice so if we take you as the example, when we see you live, you may be a light lyrical tenor and we're, you know, we're hearing the subtle, you know, the, when I say subtle, I mean the, the softer, the lower, we're hearing that stuff. And then when you get these bigger notes, there's some energy in them, but um, they, you know, you, you have all of the apparatus to, the, around you to help them be bigger. So it's... um. I listened to a, a vocal takedown not too long ago of a of a Boston tune, and um, when you hear that track, you think, "Oh my gosh, that guy must be just pushing so hard and getting these notes." And when you hear the vocal isolation, it he's like not using any energy at all, and it's a real eye opener. I think for vocalists, it was for me to realize, and you fit in this category, is that you're able to do all this stuff. It sounds. Uh, it sounds metal. I mean, it's big, it's dynamic, it's, it's, it has all that stuff, but it doesn't require you to be shouting and screaming all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, so I'm not surprised that she said that. Um, did, did, did you learn anything useful from her? Yeah, lots. I mean, um, it changed the way I, I uh, warmed up, for example. Okay. And uh, the way I 
because I've never done scales. I've never done. It's just it's intuitive to, for me when I do my ad libs and stuff. That's just very intuitive. It comes from those runs. I was going to ask you about that. You you're really good at those. Yeah, it's my. I think it's also one of my fortes. Like it's it's yeah. that's something I brought when not a lot of other singers in the, in the genre did it. Uh, yeah, like everybody right. in here. No, you're absolutely right about that. But I now I hear it a little bit more and more, and I think people are incorporated more here and there, like the bluesy runs and or just runs in general. Um, but I love doing those because those are very authentic to who I am and mm. what I listen to. Like I listen to Whitney Houston and yeah, and uh, Mariah Carey, and those sang along to those tunes before I knew what metal was. You know, and that's all about the ad libs and the the embellishments and stuff. Yeah, and the, so I love doing the, those. I don't do them as much in Camelot as in Seventh Wonder because in Seventh Wonder it's just a, it's it's more of a you can go anywhere at any time. Yeah. Uh, but um, it's a little more on the new album for sure. Uh, the new Camelot album. Yeah, it's a little more on there. On there, and the, so uh, kind of blend that in a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, I love doing that. Uh, those those things feel very authentic to me as a singer, and I that those come natural. I don't even think about them. I yeah. just uh, I just do whatever, and I do them differently. Uh, like I I I ad lib them differently live, and I just do different things. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I just I never I don't have like a certain one that I go to. You know, I just do them, what I hear in my head or what comes out at the moment. But so that's where I'm not prepared. Like that's just me winging it all the time. But no, uh, I love that though. It, it gets um little surprises for your audience each night. Yeah. I hope they didn't do it today. But then this vocal coach, she she gave you some some useful warm yeah. ups, it sounds like. She did. And uh, she um it it, it, it was this this thing that we do that I still do today is um you you do like one note, you start low, on the low E or something for, for a guy. And then you you do all the vowels on one note. Um, oh, interesting. And, you, and then, because then you you kind of place, you learn to place the vowels on each note. Like in a way where you can't, we don't have to strain yourself. Yeah. And then you try to go as high as you can without going into belting. So if you go high, you go, you know, you have your, um, I guess it's, kind of the belting voice when you're low but you don't push it and then you go up and then the higher you go the more you have to mix right your voice and um you do you do you just try to sound to keep the volume the same and just blend in the mixed voice yeah you do that all the way up to you can't do it without cracking and then you go down and that's one of the things i learned because then suddenly you find the, the mixed notes easier where you would normally want to push, uh, you can find that because this, like this, if this is the falsetto and this is for you guys that sing, this is of your falsetto and this is your low register. There's like there's not only falsetto and low register. It's this gray scale of notes and textures between here, right? That you can find, but 
it's really hard to find it if you don't if you don't warm that up. Yeah. Like it, you know, you gotta you gotta fool yourself to 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 find those sometimes, if that makes sense. No, it's um part of the value I found in kind of moving moving up and um trying to keep keep the note placed without pushing to get to the note or to the pitch is um it does kind of it, you ease into this mix voice so that when you get those upper notes you're you're able to swell in and out of volume but you're not having to push to belt um yeah. Uh, that's not the most articulate way to put it, but um, as you and the way I got to it is doing a lot of um, exercises that push the the voice into the mask of the face and really get into resonance, almost almost too much, just as a as a point of really getting it there. Uh, and it's interesting to me because some of the guys that trained with my my same trainer were part of the big explosion in um, in grunge around here, and I can hear yeah. ex- exactly how they're placing the voice from these vocal exercises. Um, So guys like Lane Staley, he he trained with the same guy I trained with. His tone is just exactly one of those exercises. It's, it's remarkable. Um, So I know, I know what you're talking about in terms of the value of kind of moving up from the lower register up, but trying to keep it even. Yeah. yeah. So that's, um, that's, and so, so before that, were you, how were you kind of pre- preparing for a show? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always had to try to figure it out because I said I didn't go to a vocal coach to tell me what to do. So I was, I was just had to figure it out myself. So I did a little bit of this and it worked and a little bit of a little bit of that when that didn't work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like depending on if I was feeling fresh or tired, I would do it, do it differently. Yeah. I don't do that anymore because um, now I trust the process that I that I have already. Like yeah. I have a few, I do a few exercises, blow in the straw, and then I have a few songs that I sing along to without pushing. Uh, so I I would go I would like maybe have four songs, but I don't do the whole song. I just do like a part of the song. Yeah. And I make sure I don't go into pushing ever. Uh, so I try to condition my voice before I go on stage because what I did before was like I pushed up, I pushed before the show a lot, just to to make sure I could. Yeah. And then you're kind of like a little bit burnt already when you when you go into the first song. You know, I I'm not. I, I listened to James Labrie's interview with you, and I'm the same way. I don't sing the best in the first song. I try to contain my voice the first couple of songs, and let it out over time, rather than go because if if I go full force the first song with all the excitement and all the in, instruments and all everything, it's really hard to go really excited from this from the get go. Yeah, I could blow my voice out in the first song. Yeah. And uh, that's happened before to me. So I'm I'm very conscious of where I place the vowels in the first couple of songs, uh, and where I, so I don't push it too hard because push it too hard in the beginning it will tax me in the end. So kind of like a marathon runner, you can't r- sprint the first kilometer because you you not make it right. You you won't make the the marathon. Yeah, right? yeah. And and the other value of of you know trying to exercise some moderation uh for for pacing is that 
uh, I, I, and James said this when we spoke, is your voice actually, be, as a consequence of the singing itself, it warms up. You actually can get stronger over the course of your set. Yep. But if you, if you, through excitement or whatever, if you, if you go too hard too fast, I think you do, you know, you spend too much of your vocal uh, endurance. Yeah, you do. I mean, for me, I know people that can do can do it, and the people have those asbestos voices that can do anything. <laughs> I'm not one of those. Yeah. Like, uh, I I need to think about what I'm doing, and uh, especially if I'm on a tour, like a one off, it doesn't really matter. But if there's a if there's a tour, definitely you have to you have to pace yourself, and you have to think about not if you're if I feel really good, I'll warm up less. Because yeah. I think of it as the, the tour. How much am I singing over the course of a tour? Not not how much I sing in, t- like, just today. So I I'm, I'm thinking like, if I'm really in good shape, I can I can burst out singing anytime now. I warm up less. I warm up, but I, just the necessary. Yeah. If I'm feeling rough, I go I warm up longer, but slower. Yeah. That makes sense. And then I also make sure, especially when I'm, I not actually only when I'm when I'm tired. Uh, anytime I I I am adamant adamant about um, also warming down, <laughs> cooling yeah. down. Because yeah, that, that I want when when I'm done, I want my larynx to be back normal, and the voice relaxed. Yeah. If I stress out, if I go to bed and and it's already and it's still up here. Uh, so I, I stay up until I've done all my exercises multiple times. The larynx is back, and it's you know, and I don't sound strained anymore. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Then I, I feel okay by uh, with sleeping, but I don't sleep until I, I get that feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a really fascinating process. I, I've even noted that. Um, I start to pay attention to people's speaking voice because it's um, I think it's true that there are some people who their natural speaking voice voice is more song like they more naturally are more resonant and, and they speak more up in in the mask of the face. I'm not like that naturally. Um, and so part of the process for me is kind of doing that where there's some vocalists who just because that's where they are, their voice is already at. I don't think they they require quite as much um, um, warm up to get the voice placed, uh, yeah. and I you know I don't have any physiology background, but I can give you scores of examples of vocalists who like are great 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 singers, and some of them have to do more of a process the way we've described, and some of them don't. I don't know if this is the asbestos voices you're talking about, but they just because their voice is more song like naturally, even when they speak, it seems that's just a it's a natural advantage they have. Yeah, I think so. And I was never able to wake up and sing in the morning. Like, yeah. I was so jealous at everyone that could just like get out of bed and sing right away. I was like, how is that even possible? But then I found out, like, I found out something I can do to help that. I didn't know that I was eating all this stuff that made me, mm. made me, my voice all like inflamed. Because uh, if you're eating stuff that you're not really tolerating, you don't have to be allergic to it. But you can eat some stuff makes the mucous membrane um, swell up, and and you know, uh, like like for example, 
dairy, gluten, sugar. Yeah. Um, and I ate a lot of eggs. Like, oh my God, I've eaten so much eggs. I'm sorry to all the chickens out there or <laughs> all the hen out there and the chickens, but uh, and the ones who never got to be chickens. But uh, I've eaten so much eggs. And uh, I, I think I'm, I'm really sensitive to eggs. So that's why I couldn't, like, I barely couldn't speak in the morning when I was waking up. And I didn't know why. Then my beautiful wife, she told me, maybe you're sensitive to eggs and all these other things that I'm eating, dairy. And so I tried, I tried to get off of it. And it's like night and day. It's like, really? Wow. It, it, it's, I really was affected. I was like, it's no, it's not possible. I can't wake up and sing. It's impo impossible. Something must be wrong. And then she, she introduced me to this and that's what I do now on tour. I eat really healthy. No, no, none of the things that I just mentioned. And, um, I try to work out and I, I do my, re uh, my exercises and I prepare before the tour. That's, that's the way I get through the tour. Um, yeah. Honest to God, I couldn't just go like abuse myself like go I, get on I tour. did in the past. No. So you, so the one of the central food groups you avoid is dairy, right? Dairy, gluten. Okay. So uh, like pasta, bread. Yeah. Uh, if anything, I have I have like uh, gluten free something, but I try to not eat, do that. Do that. And I, I stick to rice, potatoes. Um. And um, do eat like high protein foods, but I don't. I don't eat eggs. Yeah. Uh, and I and I don't have sugar, uh, like refined sugar. Uh, so so it's really boring. It's shitty life. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> the menu's not so big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's been the biggest challenge over the past couple of tours has been the, has been to get the tour manager to not bring pizza. <laughs> I know, and and part of it from the, the tour manager's perspective is pizza's easy, so um, so, and good and tasty. Uh, yeah, for sure. But doing something where you're trying to stay high protein and low carbs, and low gluten, yeah, low, it's uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's been a few hiccups, but uh, they they try their best, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's um, that's really fascinating to hear how you how you prepare and, and maintain yourself on a tour. Um, when you're when you're off tour, uh, do you kind of whatever? Oh, I I uh, yeah. Sometimes I just eat everything that someone puts in front of me. Almost I don't eat uh, red meat or pork since a while, but uh, a few years. But I I um, yeah, like ice cream, chocolate. Uh, I'm 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 a junkie when it comes to those things. So I'm I'm curious now, if you're not eating eggs and you're not eating pork or red meat, what's your major source of protein? Uh, again, I'm sorry to all the chickens and the and the poultry. Yeah, poultry. Yeah. Yeah, it's mostly that and fish, white fish, anything okay. that flies or swims. I usually eat. Um, and um, stay stay away from pasta. So so rice and potatoes salad yeah uh fruits so yeah i have sugar i have fruits but but fruits at least have have fiber in them usually yeah. so they do, they won't just go out in your bloodstream without any there's cost. nutrition yeah <laughs> exactly so so yeah i'm usually very lean when i come from a tour 
I don't have a lot of fat left. Yeah. Uh, because you know, I can see it in my face always. Like you, now I can see I haven't been on tour, but uh, I'm 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 uh, trying to eat the same way now. But I have a cheat day every week, so I eat like on Saturdays. I just like I bring it, I get a shovel and I shovel everything in. <laughs> well, you you um, I, I'm assuming that you had to kind of really build your physique when you were in firefighter because those guys can't show up to a fire weak and small, right? Yeah, I mean, no, I guess you—you'd be surprised though. Uh, it's actually not so much about strength; it's it's more about endurance, and you can be kind of small. Yeah, but I just always loved working out and feeling strong and being—that's how I, and how I saw myself as a man, like I, I like I, how I grew up and wanted to be. Like my dad is a bigger guy, and and. Uh, he never worked out, but he, he was always strong and I looked up to him, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's the image. I just, I just got passed on to me and I, and that's how I feel good. I feel good when I'm physically strong and uh, able to do, do things, you know? Yeah. Uh, so you have a workout regimen now? Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's been really good the last month and a half. So, uh, cause we have a gym right, right next to us here. But um, yeah, I, I've I've basically never stopped working out. It just uh, when you're sometimes when you're on tour, it's a little hard. But but now we uh, actually we got uh, me and Oliver. We invested in a in a barbell with some with some weights last couple, two tours ago. So we still have it. Every time we're in the states, we we load it into the bus and we take it out in the parking lot. Nice. So that's <laughs> that's actually. I mean, that's good. It's good. Yeah, man. Keeps your voice in check. Yeah, there, there's. There, that's a really good point, actually. I, I've had vocalists contact me for just any tips. Not that I'm a vocal coach. And one of the first things I usually tell them is what you just said, is that there's an overall sort of um, body um, awareness that, that it helps. Like, it's very hard to, to be drastically out of shape and show up and give a good performance vocally. Yeah, I think so. I mean... I think you're right, and that's why many, many people they run before a show, or they they yeah. they do yeah. something physical, jumping jacks, or I do a little bit of that too, like I like high knees or jumping jacks, just to get the the body going, yeah, get the the blood flowing everywhere, because I just that helps, just that helps to open up the lungs and open up the the voice, and it, it relaxes the vocal cords a little bit, unless you do really heavy lifting. Uh-huh. That can be detrimental because I got uh, when I got that um, um, injury in my vocal cord. That's something I couldn't do. I couldn't lift heavy. They told me he told me you shouldn't lift anything heavy, for you know basically anytime you lift heavy, you close your vocal cords, you know to to keep the air pressure mm-hmm. in your abdomen, and it pushes on your pushes on your because uh, it's the, a big pressure trying to get out. When you when you hold your breath, right, and it uh, pushes on your vocal vocal folds and vocal cords in a bad way, like screaming, and it has the same effect as screaming. Uh, so I can feel that when I do squats really heavy or when I do anything and I, I try to sing right after, it, my voice is kind of broken a little bit. Yeah. So, um, but if I do cardio, 
or light exercise, it just gets better. So that's something for you guys out there. Um, that really heavy lifting is not good for the voice, uh, especially not around the time that you're that you're uh, performing. Yeah, yeah, that's really good advice. Yeah, I uh, I've done some lifting. I, I, my my whenever I was doing that, um, I like in at college I took some courses. They really tried to get us t- um, into the mode of um, breathing out on the on the the lift part and breathing in on the down part and and avoid sort of the holding of breath for compression but that's hard because the instinct is to do that in order to you know get the lift going totally and i I think i do that naturally like instinctively when if there's a really heavy weight uh and also another thing it's not only that pressure it's also the um the muscles around gets flexing or flexing yeah and you can feel almost tired in your neck like after and you know just something to keep in mind that around like performances and stuff i i I feel it a lot Uh, yeah well i mean all these things you're describing that that where you're exercising the neck muscles and and things that can sort of affect those um when you're going to need all of that energy and endurance for the show yeah yeah sure yeah these are these are um you know nuances of taking care of the voice that don't get talked about very often not at all that's i'm I'm happy you you brought it up well it's good to hear hear it from a a working professional musician like some of the ways you're caring for the voice and i know of course voices are different and and um so, so techniques and approaches are different but um increasingly the folks i talk to who are having to do rigorous touring and who were singing music with some athleticism in it um, have some sort of process that is a blend of the things we're talking about. And if you draw the Venn diagram, many of them are the same. Um, So it's, you know, which is good news for, for aspiring vocalists because there's now there's sort of a, a roadmap for, for things to do, um, you know, to build, to build endurance and, and, and stuff into your voice. Um, Totally. But uh, I, boy, I've kept you way past time, my friend. It's oh, it's been a it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. No, I'm. Uh, this has been um, awesome. I'm a I'm a fan of of the band. Um, I really I I am a fan of the way you approach music, um, which I can't say about all of the the, the musicians I know. Um, I'm I'm happy for the success that you're having. Uh, I'm happy that it's on a trajectory, an upward trajectory. Like not all careers are that way. Sometimes there's a, there's a people land hard with that debut record. And then, you know, um, your career is going in the opposite direction. Um, It started really well, but, um, and one of the things I was trying to tease out there is so many of the things you've learned over time continue to be applicable or that you do apply them as you, as you go forward, whether it's a narrative sense or, using the various techniques we've talked about to express the music. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited for all the music we get from you over the next couple of years. Uh, that, that means a lot. I mean, at least I have one that's going to listen. Uh, I'll be there. You, and you guys are, I mean, usually, usually come through, uh, Seattle area. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think almost every tour we've been at almost. Yeah. So I saw you, well, I saw you down near near the the stadium, and then I saw you at Neptune. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah. Well, 
I, I will, me and a bunch of my buddies will be sure we're there when you guys get back out on the road next time. Cool. Just make sure you have a note, like you have a notebook. I can see you writing in your notebook. <laughs> critique. Here's my critique. <laughs> yeah. It's great, but you know that? that little thing? Yeah. yeah. Not, I'm not sure that that worked, Tommy. Try again. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, thank you so much for joining me on this. I know folks have loved it. I've uh, seen some comments. Um, and I, I know there'll be a lot of value for this and people who kind of see this downstream from um, the live show here. 